from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning, or whatever the case may be in all these many prolific time zones stretching from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Island chains in the west, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands. A very special good morning in St. Thomas. Yes, we'll get out there to visit soon. South into South America, north to the pole, and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Tonight, we're going to be interviewing Greg Braden, and he will be talking... Actually, uh, Greg has written a couple of books, one called Awakening to Zero Point, and the other, Walking Between the Worlds. And we'll talk about both and many things, including Earth changes, including genetic changes, including all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff that we talk about nightly on this program. So Greg Brayton straight ahead. And I guess I'll have him tell uh, you about himself. Greg is a former Earth scientist, an aerospace engineer, having left Martin Marietta Aerospace in 19. 19- 90 to complete a series of books regarding, get this, Earth Changes Based in Frequency, ah, Frequency, Magnetics, Their Effects Upon Human DNA, Emotions, Sleep Patterns, Interpersonal Relationships, and Their Relationship to Our Most Sacred and Ancient Texts. Now, there's a guy we want to talk to, I suspect. His book, um, his first, called Awakening to Zero Point. And let's let uh, Greg tell you a little more about himself. Greg, welcome to the program. Good evening, Art. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, great to have you. Oh, by the way, where are you? I I'm calling you from uh, from the mountains of northern New Mexico this evening. Actually, I'm calling you uh, to the mountains of northern New Mexico. <laughs> um, and it, it must be very nice there. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's it's a little cold tonight. It's about uh, it's in the high teens tonight. It's beautiful during the day here. In the high teens, well, by now. We're up high in the mountains. It's about eight thousand feet where we are right now. Ooh, you are up in altitude. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I have some land outside uh, Albuquerque. Ah. Uh, at about seven thousand feet, and I always contemplated what it would be like to live at seven thousand feet or above. What's it like? You know, the, the farther north you come, the the, uh, the prettier it is, and uh, to me, it's the only place that I call home. We we uh, were on the road uh, lecturing and touring uh, last year, all but 23 days of the year we were we were gone. Well, then you're not even there. So when we are here, we really appreciate and uh, <laughs> beautiful beautiful air, clean water, and it's just a wonderful place to live. Ah, uh, you travel that much, Greg? We have been, Art, uh, and this I'm still thinking about this cruise you just talked about. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that sound nice? Well, it was a beautiful introduction to precisely what we'll do this evening. Uh, I'm also a guide to sacred sites throughout the world. We're leaving for Egypt in uh, in less than three weeks, and oh, we'll are. be spending quite a bit of time on, on Giza, and I imagine uh, our conversation will lead us to that one way or another uh, this evening. You need also to uh, look at the work of uh, Abora Saeed, uh, he went over there with ground-penetrating radar and determined, in his opinion, without question, uh, that of Dr. DeBecky, that beneath the left paw of the Sphinx, there is a large rectangular chamber, and then there is an ascending passageway that 
would appear to offer the opportunity um, but to get to that. Uh, so it, either you could dig straight down to it, something they probably will not allow, or find the passageway and make your way to it. And, of course, the rumor is that in this chamber is basically uh, the knowledge of an entire earlier civilization. Do you think that might be? I, I believe, uh, personally, I believe that that's precisely what we're witnessing. I've spent time with Boris. I've spent uh, oh. recently in a, a conference with uh, uh, Robert uh, Ball and, and Graham Hancock, and yes. we, we've spoken of this at, at length. Uh, there appear, appear to be multiple chambers under the under the sphinx, actually. And, yes. Uh, now try, try and imagine uh, Graham and Robert in the same room in a debate with Zahi Awas. That's why I was so interested in the uh, in the cruise that you were just describing. <laughs> what I I see it's it's interesting. Art, almost universally, the uh, ancient traditions, the ancient texts, uh, point to this time in history as as being unique in terms of both human uh, as well as Earth experience. And whether we're we're speaking of the indigenous traditions of the Americas or the uh, mystery schools in the uh, Egyptian or the Tibetan traditions, uh, they're all pointing. Uh, to this time, the calendars and, and systems of timekeeping, they, they point to this time as saying that, that something uh, very unique is about to happen to, uh, to humanity as we know it, as yeah. well as the Earth. Yes. And I believe that this unopening, uh, or the opening of, of this chamber of the Sphinx, uh, is contributing to that phenomenon. As uh, If we're to believe those texts, we witness... Um, the collective history of humanity for the last 50,000 years or so. I spoke earlier today with Daniel Brinkley. It is his firm belief that uh, the sleeping prophet Edgar Casey, uh, as you know, predicted that um, uh, there would be this chamber beneath the Sphinx, and that uh, I believe it would be opened in 1998. Daniel firmly believes that. I think there's a high probability. How do you feel? Well, I, I believe that as well, and, and the interesting thing about those kinds of predictions, Art, as you know, is um, we're really not even certain what year this is right now because of, uh, of the way the, the calendars were recalculated uh, when we, we moved from the Roman calendar. And depending on whose, uh, whose account you, uh, you read, we lost either one, two, three, or, or four years when they moved from the Roman to the... Uh, the calendar we're using now. What is your educational background like, uh, Greg? My educational background? Yes, sir. My uh, uh, I have a degree in, in earth sciences and geology, and I specialize in geophysics. Ah. Uh, and I uh, also have a, a background in the uh, space sciences as well as the ocean sciences, which, uh, having spent a lot of time in all of them, I, I see very little difference uh, between them any longer as they're all dealing with, with systems and patterns of energy. So, uh, uh, and also computer science uh, in, in the aerospace industry, certainly, was, uh, and that was a, a minor of mine when I was in, in school back in the early 70s. Oh, my. You're right down our alley, then. Just well, about everything we talk about here. Well, I, I believe uh, uh, this, the background for me, Art, it's, it's allowed me, uh, afforded me a, a language with which to uh, address these mysteries with uh, a vast and varied uh, group of audiences. And we can go in to the language of 20th century science and, uh, and very quickly uh, describe the phenomenon without going into a lot of the, uh, the nebulous uh, 
uh, terminology that, that so many texts and a lot of people are using today. And, okay. And I, I believe for the first time now, our own science uh, is actually validating that there is indeed something unique happening. All right, hold, hold that point. We're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, you're speaking my language, believe me. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. It is. Now again, here's Yeah, thank you. I'm always interrupting uh, my own announcer. Great, huh? My, uh, my guest is uh, Greg Brighton, and I think you're going to definitely want to stick around to hear what he has to say. He's the great geologist, and uh, so he looks at what's going on with the Earth. Now, I should tell you that Greg Braden is in an area of northern New Mexico where, no doubt, unless he had a very good radio, he really hasn't heard the show. So he really has no idea what we have discussed on this program, and I have not yet unraveled the quickening upon him because he's unraveling it on me. So we'll get back to Greg in a moment. Greg, uh, welcome back. Well, good to be here. Um, I, it's hard to know exactly where to begin. Uh, Greg, I am convinced, uh, without going into all the details uh, of what I've written in my book, I've come from a completely different angle uh, in terms of coming to what conclusions I have. Uh, but uh, in my book, uh, it does come to the conclusion that an event, an event, a big one is on the horizon. I am not a prophet, uh, Greg, and I have no idea what that event will be. But something big, she's on the way. You can feel it. Everybody can feel it. And so I came at it from my point of view, but as an earth sciences guy, uh, somebody who looks at um, the DNA changes and all the rest of it, what do you think, what do you think is coming? Well, Art, before we, we get into that, I should probably, uh, because you and I have never really spoken before, I'll, I'll share this with you, though. My uh, my background is in the hard sciences and uh, uh, in the corporate technologies. What I'll also say is that uh, I had what I now call the, the rare opportunity to experience two near-death experiences in 1959 oh. in the same month. And those experiences, um, I believe, have... have uh, have shaped the way that I view the data that that's coming to me, and I'm I'm happy to. How could it not? Well, I, that's I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know you had two NDEs. Uh, this is why I don't do a lot of pre-interview. I want to discover these things on the air. Now, this is a shot out of the dark. Two NDEs. During, perhaps you could describe your NDEs, but I would ask you one question. During either one of them, did you observe any uh, geometric shapes? Uh, not in the sense, the, the way that we would typically speak of, of geometric shapes today. It, it, for me, it was uh, it was more of an opportunity to uh, to affirm life uh, and to continue with life, or to choose other than life. And and that uh, I believe, in, both in July of 1959, by the way, and those experiences I believe have led me. Uh, into a, a series of uh, corporate uh, experiences, academic experiences that led me to sacred sites all over the world through through the eyes of uh, of our own modern technology with a little bit different perspective. And it's uh, it's from that perspective that I'll, I'll share this with you this evening. 
All right, if you would, if you wouldn't mind, sure. uh, can you tell us about your NDEs? Uh, give us a brief uh, description. I, I'm Anytime I run into somebody who's had one, Greg, it's irresistible. What happened to you? Well, I, I'd be happy to, and, and they... We may even tie into them later on in the discussion this evening. One was uh, with a drowning, and the other one was an electrocution. Oh, boy. Uh, in each, each opportunity, um, what uh, to me seemed like tremendously long periods of time, um, I, I now know were, were mere seconds. And in those uh, seemingly long periods of time, uh, I had the opportunity to, to glimpse my world at the time and possibilities of my world um, and the choice as to whether or not I would continue my life um, or, or to end my life at that time. And the net effect of each of them was, uh, was an emotion, and that emotion I'll t- I tie into later on in our discussions this evening because our modern research now is showing that emotion may be the, the lost switch the lost key for uh, regulating human genetics in ways that we've never suspected before. In what ways were you given a choice to live or to continue forward? Simply uh, through the the sensation of, uh, I, I can't really describe it as uh, a voice that I recognize, but it was a sensation in, uh, in the totality of my being that simply uh, allowed me to understand that the first years of my life had been given uh, to me as a gift with no expectation. And to live from that point forward would have to be a choice. And the, the realization that each day from that point forward uh, would be my opportunity to, to consciously affirm life each day uh, of my life. And, uh, and having recognized that, I've, that has, has done a tremendous amount to guide the perspectives and shape the way that, that my life has unfolded before me. Had your life signs actually ceased? Um, they were depressed. They had not. They had not ceased in the sense that uh, I was pronounced DOA. Right. They had not ceased in that way. Uh, when they pulled me out of the water, and um, when the uh, when the electricity had stopped flowing through my body, and my body was burned, uh, in in that sense. Uh, I was unconscious, and it was during that time that those experiences came to me. Greg, I have yet to talk to anybody, anybody, who's been through what you've been through with regard to electrocution or drowning or something extremely traumatic, people who have lived. I have yet to talk to anybody who has not had some kind of experience similar to what you're describing. Now, in your case, it's very interesting because your grounding is in the hard sciences, not the uh, the spiritual world, at least at that point. And so how did you digest all of this? I mean, every, every part of your conscious being must have fought, in a way, what you experienced. Uh, early in life, Art, it was very confusing, and, uh, and I did my best to forget it, to be very honest. And it wasn't until uh, the early part of my adult life that I recognized for me anyway, I'll, I'll say this personally, that there was little difference between what we today call spiritual understanding and the world of the hard sciences that our 20th century Western technology uses to describe our world. And it was with that understanding that I was led uh, into some of the most sacred sites 
in this world, uh, as well as some of the most ancient texts. And through the, the lens that these understandings afforded me, uh, I was able to apply what those ancient traditions and many of the ancient texts have, have referenced uh, regarding this time in Earth history, and I was able to apply it uh, and, and view it through the lens of our own modern technology. And, and this leads us right into what, what we're doing tonight, because for so many of those the ancient and the indigenous traditions and, and the methods of timekeeping, uh, it, it's so interesting that they converge on this time in history. Some of them are over 18,000 years old in the, the Mayan traditions, over 39,000 years old in, in the Egyptian traditions, and, and they converge, they end in this time in history, and they say uh, that our world, as well as our bodies, will never be the same again, and it's something very unique that's happening now. Without context, uh, those kinds of texts have, have been almost meaningless to Western researchers for years. I mean, people feel they sense something, and they really haven't had a way to, to get their teeth into anything uh, tangible that, that's happened. They're, they appear to be very nebulous traditions. Well, it was, uh, in my experiences in both the Earth and the space sciences, uh, the aerospace sciences, where I began to, to witness firsthand, uh, as a geologist, for example, in the uh, early 70s up through uh, the early 80s, that in, indeed Earth is going through experiences now that uh, have never been uh, recorded in, in human history. And as I, as I went back through the, the geologic record, what I see is there is a precedent. We're, we're living a rare experience um, in terms of geologic history that, that has never happened with 6 billion people living on the planet. And I suspect we'll spend a lot of time uh, talking about this this evening. The two key parameters that I zeroed in on in the first book, Awakening to Zero Point, uh, are the, the magnetic fields of the Earth mm -hmm. that are declining now at an unprecedented rate. And... Uh, um, all right, well, here's where we did have a little bit of a discussion earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, the day before, Greg, I began getting faxes from people noticing magnetic deviations from yeah. true north varying between about 8 and 15 degrees. Now, these variations appear to be fairly short-lived. Uh, they'll go a day or two, and then it will come back. Yeah. Now, I'm getting too many faxes and too many emails from people, not casual people, but people who are monitoring this very carefully, that I know damn well it's true, what would be causing our magnetic field to begin to shift like that? Well, well this, is, this is where it gets really interesting. Right? The geologists have, uh, or, or earth scientists, have a name for this phenomenon. They, they essentially call it a hiccup in the, in the Earth's magnetic field. A hiccup. What we see is at least 14 times in the last 4.5 million years, and this is very well documented in the open literature, Earth's magnetics uh, have, have declined rapidly uh, to the point where Earth had no magnetics. We've gone to a zero magnetic uh, experience. And this has happened, excuse me, uh, how long ago? At, at least 14 times in the last 4.5 million years. That was first documented by a gentleman named Alan Cox at Stanford University back in, in the mid-60s. Uh-huh. Uh, geologically, we, the last time we see this in the rock record was between uh, uh, 10,500 years ago, which is a really interesting number for uh, Graham Hancock and Robert Bouval. Yes, I know. Um, 10,500 and, and 13,000 years ago, geologically, we can see in the rock record 
that uh, that this did happen to Earth uh, at during that time, the traditions of many of the indigenous peoples throughout the world, uh, both Eastern and Western traditions, suggest that it may have happened even more recently. Uh, and if it did, we wouldn't see it in the rock record art because it, it takes longer than that for the rock to preserve. Is there a way that you can explain to the layman what you see in a rock that tells you sure. that this occurred? Sure, precisely. Uh, and it, it's a wonderful question. I'm asked that question in, in lectures uh, all the time. We're looking at both the, the direction of the poles as well as the intensity. And right. primarily where we see these, if the listeners are, are really interested, they can go um, do keyword searches in, uh, in libraries on geo or paleomagnetics, and, and they'll find a lot of this. But by the way, I should quickly ask you, do you have a website? Uh, I do. Oh, you do? I, I have some. Actually, my office, uh, I don't have one personally. My office uh, has one, and they have actually met with your people and uh, created a, a hot button. So if they, people uh, write artbell.com, it will it'll carry right over to our website. So you're, you're telling me we've already got a link on my website? We, uh, we do. My, my <laughs> office put that together with your people uh, sometime this last week. I see. Well, you're way ahead of me because I was about to have Keith do it. I guess he's already done it. He, Wonderful. He's, he's spoken with some people that have done that. That was my understanding. They told me that today. All right. So in other words, if they go to my website, they can go to your company's web yes, website. Yes, that's correct. Well. And it's all documented in the uh, in, in the first book, the Zero Point book. So that, to answer your question, how we can see this in the rock record, to, yes. to make a, a long story very short and very simple, uh, when molten lava comes from within the Earth, uh, the magnetic particles uh, are allowed to move freely in the, in the molten state, and they will point to wherever Earth's magnetics, uh, wherever the Earth's poles are. And um, when that happens in the ocean, and the, the lava comes in contact with the water... Let me see if I understand. I'm sorry to stop you. Sure. You're saying when lava is in a molten state mm -hmm. that the uh, electrons within... Well, the magnetic particles. Magnetic, magnetic particles, all right. Magnetic particles mm -hmm. will, like a compass, align themselves with with north as a compass. With would. north and earth magnetic north and south, precisely. Okay. They're they're moving freely in in the molten state. Okay. And uh, and they'll continue to do that until something uh, causes that that magma to solidify in the oceans as that magma comes up through. The, the sea floor and, and makes contact with the water, right. uh, the particles are frozen, aligned with wherever north and south is at that time. Right. So what uh, what scientists do, what oceanographers will do, is go out to the, the spreading centers in, in the ocean floors, and they'll take core samples uh, beginning at the, the spreading center, and they'll go uh, to the left and to the right, and by doing that, they create beautiful uh, maps of ancient magnetism of the Earth, and then they will uh, they'll map those over the present intensity, and, and that ratio, the past over the present intensity, tells us uh, the, the strength of the field, uh, and then the direction of the magnetic particles tells us the direction of those fields. That, that's one. Wow! Thing. So we we get a very good scientific look at what has happened geologically uh, with our magnetic fields over the last four and a half million years. Well, we can go back even farther than that, and for, for what we're saying tonight, at least 14 times. The last... For the sake of this discussion, believe me, 14 times in the last <laughs> four, four... Now, uh, do you have some reason to believe... 
maybe I shouldn't even ask that yet. What happens uh, when one of these changes occurs? To the best of your knowledge, is there any way for you to know when our poles reverse or change, what effect it has on Earth? Well, uh, there is, Art. If we're to believe the geologic record from 10,500 years ago beyond, and uh, if we're to believe the, the indigenous traditions that suggest it may have, we just started this, this discussion, that it, it may have happened as recently as 3,600 years ago. And if, if that's true, it correlates very well with a lot of the work of Zechariah Sitchin, for example, and uh, some, some anomalies that we see in the Egyptian history as well. So it, it, uh, what I'd like to do is, is to describe the, physically what it is that creates those magnetics so that uh, we can see what's driving the process and then talk about what that means to people experiencing that process. And, and then that will lead us very quickly into uh, the rest of our discussion for, for this evening. All right. Um, what, that's a good question. Uh, what, what drives it? Well, when I, was, when I was studying geology back in the 60s and 70s, it was one of the biggest mysteries to the Earth sciences, is, is where do Earth magnetic fields come from? And uh, the ancient texts told us in, in their way, and we had to rediscover it in ours, and it wasn't until the early 90s that we discovered for ourselves what those, those ancient traditions have always suggested, that Earth's rotation around uh, an iron core generate the magnetic fields of the Earth. And, uh, and a very, very easy uh, analogy uh, that I'll, I'll share with the listeners, we do this in, in lectures all the time, is if you take an iron bar, just go to a hardware store and, and purchase an iron bar, mm -hmm. wrap copper wire around that bar, mm -hmm. and pass electricity through the wire, all of a sudden the bar has a north and a south pole. That's right. You've, so, you, you've got an immediate electromagnet. Uh... Precisely. And... If you leave the, the wire and the iron bar just the way they, they are and simply reverse the flow of the electricity, yes. the north and the south pole will reverse. Um, oh, my. What a place to leave off. But there is where we're going to leave off. Oh, yes, I made many electromagnets when I was younger. How about you? Oh, they were a lot of fun. And there's a, a sort of a lingering element of magnetism, too, that remains in, in the polar setup, uh, however you've applied the, uh, uh, the current. And we'll talk about that and more when we come back. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. It is, and my guest is right down my alley. I should have interviewed him, obviously, a long time ago. He's written a couple of books. One is Awakening to Zero Point. He is Greg Brayton. He's a former Earth scientist, an aerospace engineer who worked for Martin Marietta Aerospace back in 1990, up until 1990, and looks into things like Earth changes, which are based in frequency, magnetics, their effects upon human DNA, emotions, sleep patterns, interpersonal relationships, and their relationship to our most sacred and ancient Text. And folks, the clock is ticking. And I'll leave it at that. I'm sure Greg will explain. We're going to inquire further about magnetism in a moment, uh, specifically electromagnetism. Remember experimenting with that in school? 
winding wire around an iron bar and putting a magnet on it, and suddenly, uh, putting a battery on it, and suddenly, boosh, you've got a magnet. Well, Greg says you can look at rocks, and you can see that over the last 14, uh, make that 4.5 million years, uh, the Earth has had a more than a hiccup, let's put it that way, magnetically, and they can see that in the rocks. Back now to Greg Braden. Greg, yes, the iron bar, the wound wire, I did that a lot when I was a kid. And I remember that uh, if you left the current on for a while, when you would turn it off, there would remain some residual magnetism in the iron bar. Now, it didn't necessarily last a long time, but there was residual magnetism. Well, that's right, Art. It lasts for, for a brief period of time. And the reason that uh, we're doing this little geology 101 here, we're, we're going somewhere with this really quickly, Okay. Uh, is because, that the uh, again, up until the, the early 90s, there was a lot of discussion as to precisely where Earth magnetics uh, come from, what generates the magnetics. As we're watching them fall, uh, researchers were saying, well, where do they come from in the first place, and, and what's responsible for, for this decline? So, so I began uh, just before the top of the hour with the, the analogy of the copper wire uh, wound around an iron core. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that is a beautiful analogy for precisely uh, the way researchers now believe Earth generates the magnetic fields uh, of, of our planet is that Earth uh, rotates around an iron core, uh, an inner core mm-hmm. made uh, of about 98% iron, and there's some nickel and some other things in there. And that as Earth uh, rotates around that iron core, that's analogous to electrons moving around the iron bar, generating this uh, this north and south pole. Well, that's the best explanation I've heard well, today. It, it, it's about to get better, because what, uh, what has just been validated now within... Uh, I worked with researchers through the early and mid-90s, and it was just published uh, here within the last two years. Uh, is is something that researchers have suspected, and they've only proven recently. And that is this, that not only does Earth rotate on its axis, but that the, the layers within the Earth, in other words, beneath the crust, there's the mantle, and beneath the mantle, there's the outer core, right. and then the inner core, that each of those layers rotates independently inside of the other. Mm. So that we have the the mantle rotating inside the crust and the outer core rotating inside the inner core, and then the inner core is rotating all in the same direction, and that's what the composite experience of Earth magnetics results from uh, from those dynamics. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that concept. In what respect? Well, I don't know. Somehow you want to think of the Earth as good and solid, but uh, you're, well, you're, here you're telling me it's rotating within rotating within rotating, all moving... Uh, I, I just, it sort of shakes me up a little from what I... <laughs> well, you know, one of the reasons uh, researchers uh, were unable to, to really get a good handle on these dynamics is because it takes tremendously powerful shock waves moving down through the Earth and then reflected back up to know really what, what's happening. Uh, and it's only been with some of the, the recent earthquakes that we've had, the, the natural occurrence of the earthquakes that have created the, the level... Uh, of the shock waves, sending them down into the earth, reflecting them back up, uh, and the Japanese have done some wonderful. wonderful oh. So instead of drilling holes in the ground and uh, detonating dynamite to get a reflection, which is just like uh, a trivial little uh, pebble in the water, 
uh, compared to a boulder in the water, which is an earthquake. With an earthquake, you get reflections that give you a better, much more accurate picture. Right, and, and we're currently experiencing both a logarithmic increase in the number of earthquakes as wow. well as the, the severity of the earthquakes, which I think is, is really fascinating. Uh, converging again on this time in history. Oh, what a surprise. I'm, well, not, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm in awe. I'm, I'm in awe of the process, Art, as, it, as it's unfolding. And as we tie into this, as we go on through the evening, I'll tie back into many of the ancient texts uh, that apparently have a very good handle on precisely what we're experiencing and what we may ex uh, expect to experience from this, this point forward. I told people we were having more earthquakes. They didn't believe me. I documented the facts and put them in my book. We sure are having more earthquakes. I, I can send you the study. There was a, a oh, study, yes. study that was published recently between 1963 and 1993. There's been... Uh, uh, I knew it was dramatic. I did not know that it was logarithmic. And so mm -hmm. it, it's just a mathematical increase, both in the number globally and uh, as well as seismically. Mm -hmm. And USGS, for example, has a, an 800 hotline on the, the West Coast in Menlo Park, California, where they report level 1, level 2, level 3 on the Richter scale each day. And they've stopped reporting level 1 and level 2 because... Um, there are so many. Well, they can't really tell where one stops and another starts. There's a continuous rumble, which uh, turns out to be the good news. The, the good news is there's, there's a very gradual uh, unleashing of, of, uh, of these forces that are building beneath the crust. So the magnetic fields of the Earth uh, generate from the composite of, of this rotation. And um, uh, what we're finding now is that 2,000 years ago, Earth's magnetic fields were at a, a peak. And 2,000 years ago, they began to drop very quickly, and they've never looked back. They, they continue to decline. And it, uh, again, this is a, um, a logarithmic, it's a geometric decline. When I, I first began uh, uh, looking at this in the open literature, and I, I, you know, I wondered just how much this decline, uh, you know, are we talking about massive percentage points? Or are we talking about a few tenths of a percent? Or precisely what's happening? And there's, uh, there's an organization in the Pacific Northwest that, uh, that documents this, um, precisely this kind of information. And they just uh, shared on, um, on a, a public broadcast uh, earlier this year that if you were to look at a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest magnetics that we've known on Earth for the last 2,000 years, right now uh, we're experiencing about a 1 to a 1.5 mm -hmm. on a scale of 1 to 10. That's how, how much our magnetic fields have declined in the last 2,000 so years. So you're talking specifically about the actual strength of the magnetic field. Yes, the composite Pulse. magnetics of, of the Earth. On a scale of 1 to 10, we were at 10 how long ago? 2,000 years ago, we, we had a peak. Uh, we had a peak, and that number has declined. And that, that would be a 10, uh -huh. and now it's 1997, uh, and you're at a 1 to a 1.5. A one to, uh, about a 1 to 1.5, somewhere right around in there, which just uh, astounded me when, uh, when they shared that information. We now, if, if you were to graph that mm -hmm. over the last 2,000 years, what would the percentage of change be, say, in the last hundred compared to? You follow what I'm asking. Well, Art, you're asking the perfect question <laughs> because the uh, the the magnetics appear to be falling faster. The more they fall, the faster they fall. In the last 100 years, we've lost six percent of our magnetic field. Wow! In the last 100 years, 
Um, so, now, now earlier you said that it, there comes a time when there is no magnetic field. We've seen it happen in geologic history. We've never seen it happen um, with six billion people living on the planet. So, in other words, if you had a compass, mm-hmm. it would go nowhere. It would just perhaps wander aimlessly. That there's a good chance that that's precisely what it would do. What we see, I'm going to back up just just a moment because the context is so important here. Ancient traditions, ancient texts say that something unique is happening to Earth and humans now, and it, that something has been very nebulous. It's been very sketchy uh, for, for a lot of people. I believe for the first time we may have two, at least, and maybe more, at least two digitally measurable parameters that are allowing us to track this something. One of those is the magnetic field of the Earth. And if you, you and I'll ask the, our, our listeners to just imagine on the whiteboard of, of our minds uh, a graph. In the upper left-hand corner of the graph is the magnetic field at its peak, and it's declining to the uh, lower right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's another parameter that we haven't talked about yet. I'm going to mention it now, and then we can come back to it. So the magnetics are falling from the upper left to the lower right, uh, and we have a precedent in history that it's gone all the way to zero. There's another parameter that is changing very quickly right now, and it's it's tremendously controversial, and, and I'm happy to get into this as much as people would, would like to. Sure. We call this the base pulse of the Earth, or the, the base resonance of the Earth, and uh, ever, basically what it is, the ancients called it the heartbeat. Again, they they told us that uh, that the Earth had this pulse or this heartbeat. We didn't believe it until we discovered it with our own technology about 100 years ago. Now, what do you mean by that? Do you mean well, a, a resonant frequency? That's what it is. Every every one second, Art, that we experience uh, our, our lives, Earth pulses a certain number of times. And historically now, about 100 years ago, that pulse was first measured, uh, and it hovered around 7.8 cycles per second, or 7.8 hertz. Right. We believe that that was a constant because it didn't change for a long, long time. It didn't change all the way through the early 1900s. World War One, World War Two came along. Uh, we believed it was so stable. Uh, we've built military communications on this. We've built weapon systems based on it. Uh, during the IGY in 1958, the International Geophysical Year, mm-hmm. uh, countries agreed not to discuss this pulse um, publicly, and you won't see much in the in the Western open literature. Why? Beyond that, because uh, for just the reasons uh, it was being used for, for communications and, and weapon systems. Well, in the mid-1980s, to uh, the surprise of, of uh, many people, that number began to increase. So if you think back to our our little graph, we've got magnetics decreasing. They're coming from the upper left to the lower right. Mm -hmm. And then on that same graph, if we could superimpose this pulse from the lower left, it's increasing to the upper right. And it appears these two parameters are moving toward a point of convergence. That point, I believe, is the point that the ancients referred to uh, and the only way they knew how is the shift of the ages, or what so many people are sensing is is the dawning of the new age, and, and the time that uh, leading up to this is, is perhaps what you're referencing is the quickening. Uh, 
what uh, many researchers are calling the, the time of a polar reversal or a magnetic shift. There are many different ways. I think we're all talking about the same thing. I came at it from a di very different point of view. Yours is purely scientific. I take it, then, that the title of your book, Awakening to Zero Point, refers not to zero-point energy, though I suppose we'll discuss that, yes. but rather this convergence between the frequency of the Earth and the decline in the magnetic field, uh, where they converge, is what you refer to as the zero point? Uh, among other things, that, that's correct. That, that is, uh, as the magnetics fall to zero, the frequency moves to a threshold resonance. Uh, in traditional physics, zero point uh, refers to a place. Uh, it, theoretically, in, uh, in traditional physics, it's, it's a, a point where all matter comes to rest. Quantum physics says that at that point, matter's not in rest, that it's reorganizing. And that is also the way I'm referring to zero point. I believe we're moving toward uh, this convergence point of magnetics and frequency um, that allow this opportunity of, of reorganization of, of systems. Uh, I'd like to say one more thing about this art, and it'll lay the foundation for what we'll do for the rest of the evening. Sure. I had the opportunity uh, back in the mid to late 1980s to work with a group of researchers traveling to many sacred sites throughout the world with uh, state-of-the-art uh, digitally or, or aerospace quality equipment digitally measuring what's happening in these sacred sites. Mm -hmm. And to uh, certainly to my surprise and, and to many of the researchers, what we found is that in many of the, the ancient temples, the chambers, uh, the sacred sites throughout the world, including right here in North America, when we were in those chambers, mm -hmm. the chambers apparently thousands of years ago simulated then the very conditions that we're living on Earth right now. Bingo. Well, I, I had occasion to lay in the sarcophagus in the king's chamber at Giza in Egypt just a, a, month, right. a month ago. We talked about this earlier today. We did. Yeah. I, we, that's one of the things we covered. And I told you, or I tried to describe what I felt at the time, but I am told those who have done the acoustic studies, uh, this is through Boris uh, and Dr. DeBecky, found that, by God, the resonance in there is at about uh, just above seven hertz of all things. Well, it's tuned to the earth, and it changes. And as earth resonance changes, that chamber changes as well. So the reason I'm sharing that piece of information now oh. is because now, as we go back and look at these ancient texts and the traditions, and we have a context, what we find is that thousands of years ago, uh, individuals were immersing themselves into chambers, then simulating what we were about to live thousands of years later, writing to us in the only way that they knew how, describing what it may mean to our bodies, to our time-space relationships, to our, our, our sense that time may be speeding up or slowing down. Uh, indeed. All right, Greg, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, you folks, I'm sure, can see where this is going. It's going to be a very, very interesting night. Greg Braden is my guest from the high desert. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. You better hang on tonight because, my friend, you're in for a wild ride. That much is obvious already. My guest is Greg Braden, and he's got a background in uh, science, hard science, a degree in geology, and we are discuss uh, actually discussing the very 
nature of the forces that drive our Earth and how close to zero point they may be. All right, well, I'm grasping this rather easily so far, and I hope you are too. Uh, we're talking about the a lessening magnetic field. We're talking about the rise in the frequency of the Earth itself, which was at about 7.8 hertz. And these two are uh, coming to a point where there will be a conjunction, which Greg Braden uh, suggests will be zero point. At zero point, we will not have a magnetic field. Now, uh, Greg, this is occurring at an exponential rate. These changes now are beginning to occur faster and faster and faster. I called it the quickening and put a lot more to it. It doesn't matter the word you use. It sounds like the same thing. What happens when we have no magnetic field? What happens to the Earth? What happens to our bodies? Uh, yeah, all of the above. This is, our, this is where I believe I see the tremendous continuity uh, between what we're living today what the ancient and the tradition, uh, indigenous traditions, the mystical uh, uh, traditions, the mystery schools have prepared uh, certain groups of, of people for, for for hundreds and thousands of years. And uh, just to, to kind of, of flesh that statement out, uh, as we said earlier, almost universally, the, the traditions, the calendars, the systems of timekeeping, um, texts, uh, and the oral traditions point to this time in history as being unique. Now, for the first time, I believe that we're we're measuring, we're we're digitally measuring uh, at least these two changes. There are many other things happening. Certainly, uh, all all the outrageous phenomenon that are unfolding now. Well, I'm sure we'll get to those. But I mean, we're, we're, I, we're measuring these again. If we if if the actual magnetic field disappears, yes. What effect would there be? Well, the effects. Uh, the way that we interpret those effects is, is what's so interesting now. So I'll make a statement now. We'll get into it uh, as we go through our program um, because the, the traditions also say that our bodies will change as we experience this time in history. And, and for years, researchers said, you know, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, our bodies are going to change. We've looked the same for, for hundreds or thousands of years. What's really changing? In the last five years, the research has suggested the possibility, and it's only been in the last two years that this possibility has been confirmed, Art, that human DNA is changing to accommodate uh, these shifts in, in the parameters of the Earth in, in, in terms of magnetics, in terms of frequency. May I uh, interrupt and just sure. uh, tell you that Linda Moulton Howe, who is a science reporter on a program I do called Dreamland on Sundays, uh -huh does a weekly report, just talked to a scientist who got a good sample of Neanderthal uh, DNA. Right. And the results were uh, that there was little or no relationship uh, to Cro-Magnon or any other man uh, that followed. Precisely. None whatsoever. Completely different DNA. I, I would imagine that would not surprise you. That's actually part of uh, the program that we offer is, is I uh, tour uh, throughout the world. And, and to take that even one step farther, Art, and as you and the, the listeners, I think, are being able to, uh, to see, anything we talk about is going to be in support of what, what we're doing this evening because it all ties together so beautifully. Not only is there not enough 
evidence, genetic evidence, to support uh, that we have a genetic link to Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal, uh, the archaeological anomalies, when, uh, when Olduvai Gorge was being originally excavated, fully intact modern human skeletons were found in the same strata with the Australopithecus and with the Lucy skeletons, mm-hmm. uh, and were identified. They said, well, you know, this is anomalous. Well, we'll have to figure out how this happened later. And, um, and it, it really is inviting us to, uh, to examine the way that, that we viewed our uh, evolutionary experiences that, uh, that were viewing our history, and that's why I think the Sphinx is so important in, in whatever is happening in those chambers of the Sphinx. And it's all happening now. That's the key, that it's all happening right now. All right. A lot of people believe that the pyramids uh, were specifically burial grounds for the pharaohs. The true fact is, they've never found a mummified pharaoh in any of the pyramids. Now, that would indicate that the pyramids had some other use. Whatever it was, it was some other use. What do you imagine that might have been? Well, what, what I'll say, first I'll confirm, or uh, I'll say I have not studied every single pyramid on the surface of the Earth, and there are some new ones. Nor have I. I mean, yeah. They're in many places. Well, there are some new ones uh, intact that are just being uh, discovered in uh, China and Tibet, and we'll be over there in April this next year. Not to mention Mexico and other uh, South America, Peru. Precisely. And, and to the best of my knowledge, what I'll say is that... Uh, there have never been any bodies found inside of the pyramids that were of the same age of the pyramids. Mm. Okay, so the pyramids that the and if you talk to the indigenous peoples and if you look at the temple walls, they all say that the pyramids were not used for burial, but they were used for something else. It's only the, the historians um, in since uh, the 1700s, since Napoleon's time, where that story has uh, was developed and that's been perpetuated. This. The answer to answer your question, I'll, I'll go back to what we said just a, a few moments ago. We have two digitally measurable parameters that are changing now that we have never seen change this way in recorded uh, uh, human history. Mm-hmm. When I was with these researchers back in the 80s, as we took our equipment into many of the temples, uh, many of the chambers, uh, some were right here in the, in the American Desert Southwest, the Kiva structures, for example, in Chaco Canyon, mm-hmm. places like that. What we discovered was that those chambers simulated one, the other, and in some cases, both of the parameters thousands of years ago that we're just now living on our Earth, and that the texts written during those times were written to us. And the only way that they knew how, the only language saying, we immersed ourselves into these chambers that you, future generations, would experience. And this is what it meant to our, our emotions. This is what it meant to our bodies, to our feelings. So the chambers that we studied simulated one, either the low magnetics, high frequencies. Every once in a while, we'd find a chamber that simulated both. The only chambers that I've ever seen that simulated both were the chambers that were inside of pyramids. And uh, specifically, the King's Chamber and the Great Pyramid mm-hmm. is the only chamber uh, that I've ever seen that really well, uh, uh, just so obvious on, on, uh, to the equipment. Uh, as we went into that chamber, the magnetics dropped 
nearly zero, the frequencies uh, go well above the 7.8 hertz, and we walk back outside, uh, the, the instruments normalize. I am still trying desperately to digest in a manner that allows me to articulate what I felt when I was in there. Well, you, you, may, uh, you may not be able to articulate that, Art, because it, it happened to you on the level of human emotion, which, from the ancient perspective, was a highly sophisticated technology. Emotion is a powerful technology, and our language doesn't allow for us to articulate that emotion. In but I'm way. a wordsmith. I'm supposed to be a wordsmith. <laughs> well, and, and myself as well. So, uh, but I, you cannot do it. You cannot put words to it. At least I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Uh, but it was a total, every fiber of my body experience, that much I, I know I can say, but then in trying to describe what it actually felt like, I'm lost. For those words. experiences, um, I believe those chambers, to answer your question, that those chambers were built to allow us a reference experience to know what our bodies may feel like as Earth moves through these kinds of experiences. And I should also say this, Art, you and I have never had this conversation before. I'm an optimist. And, uh, and I believe that this change, this tremendous change that, that we're approaching is, uh, is uh, an opportunity of, uh, of hope and possibility. And I believe that Earth is living a, a healthy cycle that's rare by any standards. And I believe that it's, it's a natural cycle that we have just not witnessed in human consciousness for a long, long time. Well, yes, but having said that, some of the changes that we're going to go through are not going to bode well for some of the population on the face of the earth. That, that's true, and we're reminded that we play a tremendous role in how we accommodate those changes. And that's why the changes in DNA are so important to us right now. Chang changes in DNA. Yes. I, I can tell you that I am aware that in, Antar in the Antarctic, for example, Scientists have recently reported um, absolute DNA changes in simple-celled organisms, which they think they attribute to the uh, thinning ozone, right. the additional uh, radiation from the sun, but they're not sure about that. What can you tell me about human DNA? Oh, uh, this is so fascinating, and it's so exciting to talk about, uh, about this, and I'm sure it'll lead well into the next hour. One of the great mysteries in the life science uh, when we discovered human, aid, human DNA, uh, the map, the genetic map back in the early 1950s, mm -hmm. was why it appeared that so much of the human DNA went unused or was, was dormant. It appears that we only use about one-third of, of the genetic potential of our 64 possibilities in, in, uh, in the human genetic code. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't know that. That's Well, that's uh, as what we call the... The, the 20 amino acids. The question's then, why don't we have 64 amino acids? Why, why are the 20 so generalized? Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, that's the term that's used, as they say that they're very generalized. So for a long time, uh, certainly when I was in school, and, and I'm not a geneticist, uh, and I'm, I'm not a, bio, uh, a biologist, and I've, I've worked a lot in the genetics and the life sciences with other researchers, and what we're finding, uh, I just met with a group of researchers about four months ago uh, up in northern Colorado. And uh, 
what researchers now are beginning to suspect is that this code that we call the human genetic code, we've always believed it was fixed. And now the, 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 uh, the data that's coming in strongly uh, supports the possibility that our genetic code is not fixed, that it's a variable code, and that we change those codes on the fly through the way we respond to the great challenges of life. Okay, that's a very broad, uh, uh, vast statement uh, to make. It is. Or could you rephrase it and suggest that as the Earth itself changes, the magnetic field, um, the actual frequency of the Earth, that would key genetic changes in human beings, not actually a change in the genetic structure, but perhaps that, that portion of the DNA strand that is in use. That's contributing to it, Art. And, and what's happening now, within the last, in, in August of 1996, and this is where this information, this all, believe it or not, this all ties in together really well. Uh, August of 1996, for the first time, there was a global blood study that was done that crossed uh, cultural, genetic, uh, uh, age-defined, um, geographic backgrounds. And the impetus for this particular study was the AIDS virus. Uh, researchers wanted to see what was happening globally uh -huh. with the AIDS virus. Well, what they discovered was that there's a significant portion of our population who now has triggered the codes enabled the genetic codes that have been dormant for, for so long uh, that have afforded them uh, a very, very high resistance to the AIDS virus. They, they're reluctant to say the word immunity. Well, in fact, uh, they have found some prostitutes in Africa uh, who have been working and should have had AIDS a hundred times over. And I have heard the word immunity applied to them. I know they are studying them uh, very carefully right now and trying to figure out how in the hell uh, anybody could be immune to the AIDS virus, but I have heard the word used. Well, this is, this is the, we were told 10 years ago, Art, now we're going to use AIDS as an example. Now it's applying to cancers, it's applying to other things. We were told 10 years ago the, the AIDS, anyone testing positive for AIDS, had a 100% mortality rate within uh, approximately 14 years, give or take, some, something around in there. Correct. That now is no longer true. What researchers discovered was that there was, uh, as they took this global blood sample, this is August 1996, mm -hmm. a significant portion of the human population has shifted something within their bodies where, to the point where they have enabled codes that have been dormant or they have uh, essentially grown new forms of DNA, and I'll, I'll explain this in just a moment. And where this came about, uh, they tested these new the, the cells from these individuals. They exposed them to, to the AIDS virus. Yes. Nothing happened. They, uh, they kept increasing the amount until they were up to 3,000 times the amount that it would normally take to infect the cells. And at that point, the, the cells still did not respond. And the researchers said they were hesitant to say immune. They said these people are highly resistant to the AIDS virus same time, there's a study going on at the University of uh, Alabama in Birmingham mm -hmm. where they've actually discovered the five, uh, at least five genes that have uh, apparently combined in such a way uh, to afford this uh, uh, very high level of resistance. And again, they're, they're 
reluctant to use the word immune in these cases. Now, is this a natural human adaptation to the presence of the AIDS virus, or is this a change that is coming automatically as a result of our movement toward zero point? Well, I believe that the two are interrelated. That's a beautiful question, Art. That's precisely where we're going. I believe the two are, are interrelated. Um, and where they're, they're going with, with this whole thing, um, what was so amazing, we've seen genetic changes occur when, uh, when a population is exposed to a new challenge of life. Maybe it's a high dose of radiation or, or whatever it is. Right. We've seen these changes in the offspring. What is so amazing about the changes that we're seeing now is that they're occurring within the same generation where the challenge was experienced. They're, they say uh, the word that's being used in, uh, in the open literature now is spontaneous genetic mutation. Well, let me tell you a little story. Okay. Last night's interview was uh, Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14 astronaut, sure. number six man to walk on the moon. Sure. And one of the questions I asked him, or a caller did, I think, was, is it possible that eventually the human body will adapt to weightlessness in other words, lifetimes, even generations in space. And is it also possible the human body will adapt to the increased radiation levels that one would uh, assume you would be exposed to in long and deep space travel? And his, uh, his answer was absolutely yes. I, I believe that fully. I'm, I'm looking at my clock. Do we have four minutes till the, the top of the hour? No. We have, uh, I don't know, a couple. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make the statement now, and then we can pick it up after, uh, after sure. the, the break. Coupled with this discovery that there is, uh, at least in, in this population sample, global population sample, uh, changes in human DNA, they're called spontaneous genetic mutation, within the lifetime of the individual, uh, one of the, the big questions still remains, what is it? What is the, uh, uh, the catalyst? It turns these codes of DNA off or on again. Yes, exactly. There's a, a, a whole new body of research that's now it's been published in the American Journal of Medicine, New England Journal of Medicine, New Scientists. And uh, what I'm going to say Art, uh, opens up a vast array of possibilities. Research has discovered that what we today call emotions, yes. which is an, uh, a moving of electrical potential across cell membranes, Right. Emotion appears to be a switch or a trigger that either enables or disables these patterns of genetic codes. Wow. Now, where we're going with this is as we're barreling down this road toward the point that the ancients called the shift of the ages or zero point or whatever it is, and... It will be preceded by uh, obvious emotional changes. Now... I just threw that in because we're out of time. So hold tight. We'll come back after the top of the hour. Oh, my. Greg Brighton is my guest. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. And here I am again. Good morning, everybody. Oh, what a program we have for you tonight. My guest is Greg Brighton. He is a geologist, an earth uh, sciences uh, kind of guy. He worked at one time for Martin Marietta. And he's here talking about changes in our earth. 
and it is changing documentably. The actual frequency of the Earth is on the rise. The actual strength of the magnetic field 2,000 years ago on a scale of 10 was 10. Today, it's 1 to 1.5. These two things are converging. When they do, we will reach what Greg Braden calls zero point. There will be no magnetic field. As a matter of fact, his book is Awakening to Zero Point. And uh, he's carefully documented thus far everything he said. Now, what does this mean? It means, for one thing, that human genetics are on the move. We only use, according to Greg, a third of our uh, DNA structure. And that DNA structure, he believes, is prepared to change, uh, to adjust to what is coming, the event that is coming. Does all of this sound familiar to you? Uh, so if uh, I, I sort of did a little recap myself, and I probably missed quite a bit, but that's the basics of it. The frequency of the Earth, uh, which is evident in the pyramids around the globe, but particularly the uh, King's Chamber in the Great Pyramid, and the rising frequency of the Earth and the declining magnetic field, not just by a little, but in recent times um, uh, uh, by a lot. Uh, one would say it's quickening, or it's, uh, I'd say quickening, you would say accelerating. It's an exponential change, and it is headed towards some kind of event, which uh, is going to be zero point. And that would be when there would be no magnetic field at all. And as we came to the top of the hour, you began to talk about our DNA structure, that we only use a third of it, and that there may be a change uh, that is about to occur, or even is occurring now? Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, where do we go from there? Well, this, just to uh, to add to the, the beautiful job of recapping that, that you've just done, I, what I'd like to say is context is so important, Art. It's, it's so easy to focus on the individual phenomenon, and without a context, they certainly can look uh, frightening to some people and uh, just outrageous. Uh, by any standards, and this is where I, I think the continuity of our collective memory and of, of history is so important. As we go back into the ancient traditions and the ancient texts and the indigenous uh, traditions throughout the Americas, um, they knew of this time in history almost universally. Their traditions were in support of preparing um, a human understanding for the experiences that, that we're uh, living and, and we're preparing ourselves to move through. How do you know they knew? As we go back into into these texts, uh, are, it's very, very clear as they state to us um, the calendars, for example, will begin with the calendars. Uh, some of the calendars, the Mayan calendar began over 18,000 years ago, the Egyptian calendar over 39,000 years ago, the Chinese calendar, the Tibetan calendar, and the, uh, the prophecies which certainly are not uh, scientific, and the prophecies are very interesting, they all point to this time in history. They all converge now. And one of the things I found so interesting, Art, is if, if technology allowed for building systems of timekeeping 18,000 years ago uh, through the Mayan system, for example, why did they stop now? Why didn't they build a, a new calendar from this point forward? And uh, it was interesting. I, I asked 
uh, spent some time in South America a couple of years ago and asked a, uh, a Peruvian holy man the same question, and he laughed at me, and he said, don't even try to build a, a new way of keeping time. He says, because your world will never uh, look at time the same again, and you will not be the same people <laughs> at the end of this, uh, of this period in, in history. So as we're looking, whether we're talking about uh, Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nag Hammadi Library or the Essene traditions or the Egyptian uh, or the Mayan or the Tibetan, uh, they describe this time in history at the ending of the calendars. Mm -hmm. uh, the, some of the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are actually so clear that they actually are describing the phenomenon that we're seeing now. They talk about changes in weather pattern, changes in the, uh, in the sun that we haven't gotten into tonight, changes in lunar patterns. And, uh, and so many of them reference the fact that the changes are occurring within our bodies as well. I have seen some recent scientific reports about changes in the sun. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Now, what have you heard? All of this is very recent news, very well, researchers, uh, I, again, I met with a group of researchers in northern Colorado uh, about three and a half months ago, and it was a closed conference, so there, there were no audiences, uh, and for that reason, the researchers were not risking tenured uh, professorships. I hear you. Mm. Reputations. And uh, researchers, for, since, to my knowledge, since 93 and 94, have been watching the sun very closely. We, uh, we sent the Ulysses spacecraft uh, to the sun, and uh, I believe it was late uh, or mid-94. By the end of 94, it was at the South Pole. Uh, by mid-95, it was at the equator. And by uh, the end of 95, early 96, it was at the North Pole of the Sun. First thing that the, the Ulysses began telling us was that the magnetics of the Sun uh, have changed tremendously. Uh, that the, the magnetic difference between the North Pole, the South Pole, and the equator were were pretty much non-existent, and that the magnetic fields of the sun were declining very quickly. Really? Uh, so that, that was one thing. The magnetics are shifting very quickly. Researchers uh, divide the sun into, into four quadrants when they're talking about the, the zones or the quadrants of study, and, and there's a phenomenon that appears to be happening on one quadrant of the sun where uh, a plasma appears to be amassing uh, to such a degree that there's a tremendous bulge, it appears, that is occurring there. Really? And, and what the researchers actually said, they, they were reluctant to say this in front of uh, public audiences. They say there's something happening there uh, that we've never witnessed, so we don't have a precedent. We don't have anything to compare it to. They say we may be witnessing the birth of, uh, of something new in our solar system that we've never seen before as we, as we watch this massive bulge. Uh, growing on this quadrant of the sun. Right. And the third thing uh, you've already mentioned earlier uh, are these uh, tremendous uh, electromagnetic impulses that are leaving the sun. And uh, uh, we detected for the first time full cycle in January. Uh, there was another one, uh, actually two of them in tandem in March, and then another one uh, that's just been reported uh, within the last day or so. The last day or so, indeed. Uh, earlier this evening, CNN reported a massive solar flare. As a matter of fact, they said it was of the proportions that uh, knocked out the power grid in Canada some many years ago mm -hmm. and compared it to that. Uh, now, whether it hits us head-on or not, 
they haven't quite got that figured out yet. There was another massive solar flare, and they gave great warnings about how it was going to do this and that, and it sort of missed Earth. Well, well what's, what's happening with it, Martin? This, uh, again, this all ties back to, to what we're talking about here. This cycle of solar flares is expected to, uh, to reach its maximum at the close of this decade or the close of this century, the end of the millennium, uh, that you know, so many other things are converging on this time in history. And to this point, uh, it is the magnetic fields of the Earth that have buffered us from the full uh, effect of those, those impulses. Okay, this goes back to my question then, and I'm going to ask it again. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there is a convergence of the frequency of the Earth itself and the declining magnetic field, and we get to zero point, and we actually have no magnetic field. For a short period of time. For a short period of time. What what effect uh, do you imagine that to have on Earth? Well, uh, like you said earlier, Art, uh, you, you mentioned you're not a prophet, and, and I'm not either, so I'll address this question a couple of different ways. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, from a physical perspective, and, uh, and then if we're to believe some of our uh, indigenous traditions, again, Earth went through this magnetic shift as recently as 3,600 years ago. Uh, and the Hopi record this day, the, the Navajo record this day in, in, uh, in our own backyard, as well as uh, uh, in Egypt and uh, uh, in South America. Now, let me ask one other quick question sure. before you get to it, and that is, uh, after zero point, mm-hmm. do we have a pole reversal? Yes. And we can go into that now because we built our little model during the first hour. We All right, fine. Go back and pick that up. All right, fine. Let us begin at this little uh, nether world time of no magnetic field at all. Well, what? physically, what, what we would see on Earth would be what researchers call a null, electromagnetic null, um, because, and again, the, the magnetic fields are caused from these... Um, the rotation of the the inner cores of the Earth. We spoke of this in the first hour. Right. Well, now what researchers know is that as those rotations slow, and they are, uh, and Earth's overall rotation slows as well, and and that's why your cesium clocks are being readjusted all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, As those those inner cores come to to a rest, um, that is what causes that electromagnetic null. And they rest, uh, apparently, for a relatively short period of time in the geologic record. And just like in our little model, where we reverse the flow of the electrons. Now, uh, Greg is referring to the experiment. Remember when you were a child, you had an iron core, you wound wire around it, applied uh, voltage and current, and you've got an electromagnet. And that is essentially what we have with the Earth. Yes, precisely. And, And as... In, in our little model, with the wire wrapped around the, the iron, as the electricity passes one way through the wire, the iron bar has a north and a south pole. Right. By simply reversing the flow of the electricity, the poles reverse. That's correct. As those inner cores of Earth rotate in the opposite direction, that has the same effect of creating that pole reversal. And that Thank you. This is the most elegant explanation of pole reversal that I've ever heard. Finally, I understand it. Well, I well thank you, Art. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge without a whiteboard in front of us, and we're all mm-hmm. using the whiteboards of our minds. That's, that's right. Well, that's a radio theater, uh, theater of the mind. Now, okay, uh, so take us to, again, this netherworld where there is no magnetic field. What actual 
would we notice other than compasses being yes not knowing where to go what else would we notice we would certainly notice it art because we are so tuned to those fields our sleep patterns our immune systems uh, and i believe what's happening now is the tremendous changes that we're going through in our lives now are preparing us for for that moment and one of the reasons it's, it's a challenge to to say precisely what everyone experiences because each person interprets it differently and one of the keys this is one of the keys to understanding, I believe, this time in history uh, as referenced through these ancient traditions, rather than us sitting back and watching the earth change around us, mm-hmm. is to acknowledge the truth of, of the matter that we are changing with the earth and uh, and how we allow for those changes in our bodies has plays a tremendous role in how we interpret the changes that are happening within the earth. And here you uh, talk then, of course, about the DNA shift. I don't want to say change. You're talking about simply using a different portion of the DNA structure uh, than we use now. Well, Art, that's happening, and uh, and I know to some people it might seem like we're jumping all around, and we'll, we'll tile these back together. Uh, and to be accurate, we are using portions of DNA that we have not used apparently in a long time, and we are apparently growing new kinds of amino acids in our bodies. There is, there is a publication that comes out once a month. When I first began researching this, I was just in awe. And I, I said, okay, maybe one or two people have, have changed some DNA in, our, in their bodies. How, on, on how grand of a scale can this actually be happening? And, uh, you know, the adage, ask and, and you'll find out. Well, I, I had no sooner asked that question than I began... Uh, uh, getting references in the mail and, uh, and across the, the web, there's actually an organization that is tracking these genetic changes, and they publish every 30 days the new amino acids that have been found in human genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little publication is called Cytokine, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N-E. And, uh, and apparently it's happening on a much larger scale than, uh, than we ever recognized. Our, our researchers understand these things are happening, and they're, what I'm seeing, or my colleagues that I've worked with in the industry, they're witnessing all of these phenomenon art as distinct, non-related, independent phenomenon that coincidentally happen to be occurring at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying differently here this evening is I'm, I'm relaying and, and bringing uh, us all up to date with some of the new research with a little bit different perspective. I believe they are related, and I believe that they are phenomenon in support of this uh, of this rare event that the ancients called the shift of the ages. All right, you're saying our bodies are preparing to change with the earth, but you still have not exactly answered my question about what you think, and I understand you're not a prophet, but what physical effects we might observe with no uh, magnetic field. I believe to an individual, to our bodies, uh, being in the absence of magnetic fields for some may be a, a very unusual, very strange feeling. Um, wouldn't, example, kill, wouldn't, wouldn't kill us. Uh, it, I believe it, it's, it's a very empowering, a very freeing experience, Art, because it's, it's the encumbrance of the magnetic fields. We've, we've lived in the density of these magnetic fields for so long in our memory, we may have forgotten what, we actually, what it feels like for us to be in, in the nakedness, if you will, of uh, low or zero magnetics. So for example, you, you said just the other evening 
uh, you had interviewed uh, one of the astronauts. Dr. Mitchell last night, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to use this as an example. Uh, PBS did a special a few months ago where they interviewed uh, many of the astronauts who had uh, left substantially uh, all of the Earth's magnetic fields in their, in their uh, space experiences. They haven't done so well, frankly. Well, here's what happened to them. Well, all right. Hold, uh, we're yeah, at the was, bottom of the hour, okay. so this is a good place to hang everybody up. <laughs> Stay right there. Greg Braden is my guest. And it should be obvious to you now what we are discussing. Uh, in about 30 minutes, I believe we'll start to take some calls. I'm Art Bell from the high desert. This is Coast to Coast AM. Now, here again is Art Bell. Once again, here I am. Top of the morning, everybody. Greg Brayton is here. And my, 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 what a story we're seeing or hearing unfold before our ears. <laughs> it all kind of comes together, doesn't it? Anyway, back now to Greg Braden and the serious business of our Earth and really us. This has as much to do with us, if not more, than our Earth. Our Earth probably has been through changes many, many times, as we've already documented. Uh, the question is how we will fare through these changes. Now, we've talked a little bit about zero point. And it doesn't sound like there'll be any, at that point at least, any tremendous Earth physical geological changes. Uh, is, is that true or is that false? I believe we're witnessing the changes now, Art. I, I think that we're, we're living. Um, I've had many people in, in my lectures and uh, seminars say, uh, when does zero point begin? And uh, we're, we're living this process. The ancients called the shift of the ages now is, as we as we witness the magnetics falling and the frequencies increasing, the weather patterns changing, many people feel like uh, time is speeding up in their yes, world sir. because our, our bodies are tuned to, uh, to the pulse of the Earth. So right on. I, I, I've got two things that I would like to report to you that just came in, all right? All right. One is um, from CBS up to the Minute News. On the El Nino watch, forecasters are predicting uh, the weather system this weather system is indeed now going to bring severe weather to the western U.S. That's exactly what Colorado got when a blizzard struck last week. The jet stream literally came down on deck and took thousands of trees and turned them into twigs. In other words, uh, actually just simply wiped them clean. You can imagine the kind of winds that took. Uh, that's one report that I've got this morning. Another is that there has been an earthquake uh, near Quebec City in Canada. Now, I would like confirmation of that. They're saying it was a 5.2 on the Richter scale uh, near Montreal. I've not heard confirmation of that, but I would certainly like it. Then I've got a question from a geologist for you. Dear Art, I too am a geologist. My senior research project in college was magnetism. So I haven't been lost on the technical portion of Mr. Braden's interview. However, I don't feel comfortable with his optimism. First, according to my references, 100,000 years ago was probably the last reversal. It would be interesting um, uh, in looking at any new data updating the last event. Uh, for myself, though, a reversal would have potentially very serious consequences, the reason I say this is that we are protected from the extreme solar radiation by the Van Allen belt, 
The Van Allen belt is generated by the Earth's magnetic field. I believe we would be subjected to tremendous levels of radiation. The unused DNA are residual from when we first formed from a slime to every evolution since. And I, I wonder how you, uh, Greg, react to that. Well, there's a couple of different questions going on there. Um, I agree that if we were to remain static as, uh, as we see ourselves today in the presence of this kind of change, uh, we'd probably have uh, some, some very dire consequences, and, and I do not see that happening. Uh, Alan Cox uh, out of Stanford University in the mid-60s put together a series, uh, one of the best series that I've seen of the, uh, of the reversals of Earth's magnetic, um, Earth's magnetic poles. And uh, according to Alan's work, and I've, I've had a lot of discussions with other researchers about this, Alan shows these reversals uh, coming much more recently than that 100,000 years ago. He shows them up uh, as recently as 10 to 13,000 years ago. They correlate very well with the melting of the last ice age. Um, and, uh, and yes, well, that would seem to make the Faxer's argument. In other words, if the uh, ice caps, for example, were to melt, sure, you can't consider that to be a trivial trivial occurrence, considering what it would do to the ocean levels and the coastal areas now inhabited with uh, billions of people. I, I believe that uh, there are many different levels of, of looking at this. On a physical level, our our technology is based on uh, electromagnetics. Anything based on uh, electromagnetics uh, in an electromagnetic zone, uh, null zone, obviously is, is not going to function during that time. Uh, weather patterns that are uh, uh, driven or, or buffered by Earth magnetics and solar winds, the very impulses that we're looking at right now yes. uh, coming to Earth, we're buffered in large part by, uh, by the magnetic fields of the Earth. The Van Allen belt. Precisely. Created, created or maintained by the magnetic field. So if that were to go away, Greg. If that were to go away and we were not changing, I think the consequences would be the dire consequences that, that we're looking at. What I believe we're witnessing, are, and this is why we laid the foundation. Uh, I, I understand. You're suggesting that we will adapt genetically to these new conditions. Otherwise, otherwise we're going to be the Earth's future um, uh, renewal of fossil fuel. I believe that we're adapting uh, as we speak. It's happening within this generation, and that is why I introduced uh, it, uh, uh, at a very high level the, uh, the the research suggesting that something has changed in our DNA. For example, the the breakdown of the ozone, uh, which has not been confirmed to occur from fluorocarbons. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, chlorofluorocarbons. That's, uh, that's suspected to be that way. There is a whole parallel body of research showing that something very positive is happening there, Art. The, the, the uh, high-frequency ultraviolet that's being allowed to penetrate to the surface of the Earth yes. uh, is uh, the same frequencies that we generate artificially in our laboratories to cure AIDS right now, and it's coming naturally to the Earth. Now, how life forms adapt to that uh, is being determined by the life forms themselves. And this is why we're bringing in this whole uh, discussion of, of DNA. We have a, apparently a variable code, if we're to believe this. Well, I don't know about adaption. Uh, I talk frequently with Stan Deo down in Australia. Mm -hmm. We've got a big international uh, broadcast here. Right. 
on the internet. And uh, Stan tells me that school children, for example, in Australia, are now required to wear headgear to school because of the amount of UV radiation they're experiencing down there, closer to the uh, South Pole. Now, that doesn't sound like they're adapting, well, except, it, except they're wearing hats. If, if they didn't wear that, what would happen? They would get skin cancers, they'd get glaucomas, etc. Okay, let me... NASA, NASA. Or, or maybe you're right, and maybe some would get skin cancers and glaucomas, and then maybe in another generation there would be an, uh, the people would adapt. NASA sent a team uh, down, and this was this made uh, front page news in the uh, in the Western media. It was on Time Magazine and uh, in Newsweek. They sent a team down in '93 and '94 to look at um, at the effects. They believed there would be a massive die-off of uh, single-celled organisms and uh, organisms low in the food chain in Antarctica. Already underway. Already underway in response to the ozone breakdown. Yep. To their amazement, Art, what they discovered was not only uh, was there not a, a die-off occurring, but these, these uh, organisms thrive in this light. They thrive in this light. So the question comes, why is it that some organi organisms bode well and others may not? This comes back. Well, the question is, are we going to be one of the ones that does well? We're, we are determining that, I believe, we're determining that now uh, during this generation as we unearth, as we, uh, as we witness now the new research of what the ancients called the inner technology. We determine how we respond mm -hmm. to these conditions. We determine how we respond to that light. It's not fixed. We determine how we respond to those lower magnetic fields and those in, increased pulses, and this is where... Uh, I well, what my faxer was doing was questioning the reason for your optimism that we would make that, uh, 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 that adjustment. My optimism stems from, uh, and again, we're, we're looking at the whole context. This is where it's so easy to look at one isolated phenomenon out of context. Okay. We're reminded through the ancient traditions that, that something very unique is happening now, and that this is a time to redefine the parameters of human existence. Uh, rare, uh, by any standards, rarely do we have the opportunity to, to do that. Now, we didn't know what that meant until relatively recently when we discovered that there is a direct link between emotion and DNA. Now, as we go back into the ancient text, and we, we see what, what the focus through the indigenous traditions and through the Eastern traditions and uh, the Tibetan traditions, the Essenes, the Egyptians, they were focused on what I believe was a highly sophisticated technology of uh, developing the kinds of thoughts, feelings, and emotions that optimize human potential. They called it compassion. And I think it's really interesting that compassion is, is playing such a, a huge role in, in our lives excuse me, today, rather than use the word compassion, some people may not like to, to, to talk about that word, what we can do is view compassion as a form of emotion and witness uh, what focused emotion, how that technology allows us to hone biologically the way that we represent ourselves in, in this world. So how we feel about these changes, I think, is the key and that's what we're what we're asked to look at uh, in the presence of one another today. All right. Here's somebody who says, 
Uh, Greg, if there's a chance that humans alter their own DNA relative to their uh, situations, could this be why the Department of Defense funded the Human Genome Project? I always have been somewhat bothered by the Department of Defense being in charge of the Genome Project. Sure. And I as well. You know, we live very close to uh, one of the largest genetics labs in, in the country right now as we've re-geared from uh, a nuclear research uh, into into the, the last great frontier. And, and again, Art, to some listeners, this may seem very different from talking about the magnetics and frequency that we began with. And if, if we allow that we're talking about systems of energy, patterns of energy changing, uh, I believe the answer to, to the listener's question is, is yes. We have this massive potential within our gene pool. And as we are seeing individuals now respond to life through new choices of life, we're seeing them enable, genetically enable, these, uh, these dormant uh, genetic codes. And all of a sudden, they've got these tremendously enhanced immune systems. Greg, I really appreciate your optimism, but it has to be noted that there are many, many species uh, more than I could count, that have become extinct on Earth. Poof. Precisely. Gone away. Now, Precisely. Now, I would like to be optimistic, but there is always the possibility that we don't adapt and we become one of the countless gazillion species that has come and well, I, I agree 100%, Art. I'm, I certainly agree with that. What I believe is that some will choose to adapt and some will not. And, though, and we're seeing that happen now as... Uh, we have a precedent for it already. We have individuals who have chosen to enable the immune systems of their bodies yes. to the point where AIDS is no longer... We, we will never that, That's a scientific uh, fact. All right, we've got a break here at the top of the hour. Relax, we'll be right back. Greg Brayton is my guest. He's right. There are some people immune, I don't mind using the word, to the AIDS virus. Now, I wonder how they managed that. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is. Greg Brayton is my guest. And yes, we will begin taking calls here shortly. So line up as appropriate. And uh, we'll see if you have questions, and I just bet you do. And what a fascinating, absolutely fascinating night. He does have uh, two books, by the way. And I'm, oh, I do want to give him a chance to plug his books. One is called Awakening to Zero what we've been talking about tonight, and then the newer, Walking Between the Worlds, or the Science of Compassion, which is just what we talked about with re respect to emotions and how they are changing. Now, I can't deny that is occurring because I wrote of it in my own book, The Quickening. Now, whether this adds up to something that is going to change our genetic code that will allow us to live through and into the new changes that are coming, or the event, if you will, that is coming. Greg would call it zero point or pole reversal. I would call it an event. Whether it's going to uh, allow us to change and make it through that or not, Greg is very optimistic. Uh, I am not quite so optimistic, uh, though I am not convinced either way. Uh, Greg, let me read this to you, uh, uh, dear Art. By Greg's own admission, the lava record indicates that the Earth's magnetic field has gone through several inversions. Therefore, there must have been several times in the course of human history 
where we have experienced zero points, at least in relation uh, to the Earth's magnetic field, if this is the case. And Greg's assertion is that this may cause spontaneous changes in human DNA. Please ask him if he's encountered any historical evidence of DNA changes in relation to previous magnetic inversions in the Earth's magnetic field. Is that my turn now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. What a great question. It's, uh, the answer is I have not encountered that evidence because uh, we do not have uh, uh, recorded human history going back far enough to delve into whatever happened during those those last magnetic reversals. Again, a, uh, a very good point. I'll add, though, in support of you, Linda Howe's report this last Sunday mm -hmm. uh, that Neanderthal man, um, apparently, according to the latest research, has no apparent DNA relationship to modern man. Right. Now, that is quite a shocker. It is, and, and I always have to wonder when I... I first read that report three years ago in the tech journals, and I wondered why I didn't see it in Time magazine. You know, that, the, the implications are, are vast for a body of work like that, and it wasn't until uh, uh, it, we did see that in Time magazine and Newsweek uh, in, uh, I guess, maybe August 1997, just the uh, last few months. All right, one other quick little thing. We have been having a rather uncomfortable swarm of earthquakes on the border between my state, Nevada, and California yes. uh, in recent days, quite a large number of earthquakes. Um, as a matter of fact, I now have confirmation of at least a 5.0 earthquake near Quebec mm -hmm. that just occurred. Uh, in Mammoth, uh, they've been swarming with earthquakes, which is probably related to the movement of magma, right. is my guess. And as you suggested earlier, the Earth now is uh, has a disproportionate uh, large increase in the number of earthquakes. How large an increase is it? It's uh, it's a logarithmic increase. I don't know the, the sheer numbers, uh, Art. I know there was a study, and, and I'd be happy uh, to fax this to you at, at the end of the show. There was a study done between 1963 and 1993. Uh, I, I sensed that there was an increase. I didn't really have anything to... Uh, hang that on, and this study was uh, just published in '95, and it said there's a logarithmic increase in both the number of quakes overall and the severity of the quakes, and we're seeing more quakes in uh, in the level uh, five, six, and seven on the Richter scale than than we've ever seen before. Going back now, let's tie back into one of the parameters we spoke about earlier. We've we've spoken quite a bit about magnetics, and, and I'm sure we will uh, more before the evening is over. The base frequency of the Earth, uh, I believe, is, is uh, tied to these magnetic, uh, or uh, rather the, uh, the seismic activity. Now, can you tell me, uh, it was at roughly 7.8 hertz? 7.8, uh, this is tremendously controversial now, uh, Art, uh, where these measurements are coming from and how they're being done. Yes. They were first recorded uh, a little over 100 years ago, 1898, in uh, uh, just south of Denver, Colorado. Uh, it's 7.8 cycles per second, 7.8 hertz. Hertz, yeah. And we believe that was a constant up until uh, the mid-80s is when we began seeing it change. Independent researchers uh, uh, globally now have documented uh, 7.8 to 8, 8.23, 8.6, all the way up to 9 hertz that I've seen personally. Now, some researchers have, have recorded higher readings. I have not seen that, so I, I can't substantiate that. 
But even 7.8 to 9 hertz is a relatively large movement indeed in well, that short it, period of time. It is. You know, there's almost, uh, and maybe you found this, I have not read your book, and uh, maybe you found this uh, with the people you were working with. There, Almost universally, there seems to be a sense uh, within people that time is speeding up. Have you found that in your... <laughs> I've found that. You see, every, uh, uh, people aren't going to believe this, Greg, uh, <laughs> uh, but Greg has not been a listener to the show. Um, he might have heard a couple of tapes in the past or something. That's is, what I've is, heard. Is that right? Yes. Uh -huh. um, I've been hardly talking about anything else. Uh, yes, that is the centerpiece of my book, that in every... And now, I'm a talk host, Greg. I've been doing this program for 14 years, and it comes down to this. In every single aspect of human endeavor, political, economic, social behavior, uh, the, the weather, uh, the environment, um, the ecology of the earth, and I could go on and list um, a, a million different things, that events are accelerating at an exponential rate. Things are going faster and faster and faster. You can say, if you wish, time is moving faster, but events are quickening. Yes. And that's where the title of my book came from. I called it The Quickening. Well, your book and the first chapter of Zero Point have a lot in common. Then. <laughs> and as, as I began investing, investigating uh, this particular phenomenon, uh, and again, this is one of the places where I'm seeing the boundaries between the sciences break down. Rather than looking at physics or chemistry or or biology, we're looking at, at uh, vibratory patterns of energy. Well, we do mesh because I wrote my book from the perspective of somebody who watches the news and daily events uh, very, very carefully. By the day, I spent hours looking at it. And I began saying on the air, look, something's going on. It's changing. We're headed towards well, something. Well, this and not... and uh, let, let me finish sure. if I could. And, um, and, and uh, people would call me up and they'd say, no, Art, it's not true. What you're seeing is the new world of instant communication, where all of this news is suddenly available to us. And I, I thought, well, maybe they're right. So that's what set me on the quest that ended up in my writing that book. I wanted to prove, document, that indeed these changes really are occurring and that uh, it's simply not a product, product of our modern communications. And that's what my book was all about. Well, that's... Uh... I find that that's really fascinating because as I was uh, developing the information for the uh, laying the groundwork for the Zero Point book, uh, what I found working with live scientists is that uh, this pulse, this resonant frequency of the Earth, mm -hmm. every cell of every organism is tuned to this pulse, mm -hmm. and uh, our bodies included. And as this pulse increases, then in a very real sense to us, it does appear that time is speeding up because our bodies are uh, are working uh, day and night to match this pulse. As we've moved from 7.8 to whatever it is, whether it's 9 or higher right now, our bodies now strive to match that pulse. And in a very real sense, time has that up uh, to our bodies. And again, I'm getting all of these listeners sending hundreds of faxes talking about temporary magnetic deviations from, oh, I don't know, 7 or 8 uh, degrees all the way to 15 degrees at times, and then it will swing back. And you call that a hiccup. Well, that's a, a geologic term. It's kind of a nickname. As we go back into the rock record, as we go back into uh, also in uh, ice cores, we can see, and more recently, when... Uh, 
events of this magnitude have occurred, they're recorded in, in ice as well, that uh, there are certain phenomena that are associated with the declining of the magnetic field just prior to the point where they, uh, where they fall to zero. One of the, the things that we see in the records is just before the magnetic fields drop to zero, you'll see them jump, making uh, very radical shifts from, uh, from the orientation where they've maybe been for hundreds or thousands of years, and they'll begin to flip-flop around. And it appears, Art, that when, when the fields finally drop to zero, it's not a clean drop, but they drop to zero, and actually the, the poles will do a, a 180-degree flip-flop within uh, the period of, of uh, a very short period of time. Yeah, I was about to ask about that. How long would you imagine or even guess that we might be at zero point before it flipped? Okay, this is, uh, this is one of the places where the, the text, the ancient text, I believe, can be useful. And it may be less scientific to look at it this way. You cannot measure the brief periods of time in the rock record. So all we see is that for... Uh, Geologically, a brief period of time, the magnetics uh, were at, at rest, and then and then they reversed. When we go into the ancient texts, and some of them are uh, are not written texts; they're the uh, the traditions, the oral traditions of the Hopi. Yes. For example, who say that we we've lived in a dream and we're about to wake up from that dream and do a new dream, hmm. uh, or the the Essene traditions, uh, for example, they suggest that this period of time lasts uh, roughly three days. Roughly a three-day oh, that's very short magnetic null uh, until the, the magnetic field stabilized once again. And the Hopi, uh, if it did happen 3,600 years ago, as they suggest, uh, the Hopi lived through it, and it was uh, uh, a very empowering experience. All right, now I've heard various descriptions of what would occur with a polar shift. So let us imagine we make it through that the zero point time, uh, which would be a pretty big panic point for the human population, and the poles reverse. I've heard stories that range all over the map about what would occur with a polar reverse. Uh, the ice caps might melt. We could have winds uh, six to 800 miles an hour on the face of a globe. Uh, continents could begin to shift, or maybe nothing will happen. What's your take? Well, again, we, we were getting into this just before one of our, our past breaks. Right. On uh, the physical processes driving this, the rotation of the Earth is, yes. is key. Uh, when I was in school, I was taught that Earth's rotation is a constant. We now know that that's simply not true. The Earth has, has rotated so fast in, uh, in our recorded history that our, our year has been 360 days long. Mm -hmm. And that it's been, uh, now it's a very slow point, 360. Uh, five and a quarter days mm -hmm. long. Um, so I would expect that during this time, we're, it's the change of Earth's rotation, uh, that changing of the speed of Earth's rotation that causes those high winds. As Earth shifts its rotation, the atmosphere is still rushing over the surface, creating the high winds, the sloshing of the oceans onto the, the continents. Um, things like that. And I, I fully now, I know that you want to be optimistic, but give us a a scientific assessment of what you really think would occur on the on the reversal. Well, I, I have to be uh, to do it responsibly uh, and, and professionally. Yes. And in, in, a, in the brief period of time that we have here, our, what I would fully expect to see high winds. I expect to see oceans sloshing on onto the continents. I would expect uh, that there would be some uh, uh, 
some portions of the world, certainly that are uh, experiencing more dramatic extremes than others. Uh, anything based on our power grids would would not work during that period of time. Oh, boy. And all of these, now this is where I get back to what we are doing before, because I don't think we can separate them. All of those phenomenon, how how we are determining now how we interpret those kinds of phenomenon. We're, we're determining right now, uh, I'm not painting a rosy picture saying that uh, it's just going to be like we get up one day and, and this thing happens and then we all, all go back to work. Our lives will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely what the, the ancient traditions say to us. They say this is the time. The Hopi say that we wake up into this new dream or the, the Essene text say that this is the time that we redefine the parameters, the emotional parameters. We're redefining uh, hate in our in our world. So you're, you're you're virtually suggesting that our emotions are like a weather vane pointing toward this change, right? Uh, yes. Okay. I think um, that, that's a fair statement. Okay. Uh, it was one I just uh, plucked out of nowhere. Stand by, and we'll get back to you. And the reason I said that is because, again, this is my my wife's current favorite song. And she claims it is true of her, and <laughs> I think it's true of all women, uh, not just sit, you know today, but true of all women nearly all the time. There'll be some argument about that, but uh, you see what you think. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now here again is Art. Once again, here I am. Greg Braden is my guest. Even with a five-hour radio program, there's not enough time to uh, cover this subject adequately, so we're going to start taking rapid-fire questions from the audience shortly, I promise you. All right, Greg Braden is a geologist. Greg Braden worked in the space sciences. Greg Braden had two near-death experiences, and so he is a man of hard science. Uh, who has applied additional knowledge gleaned in these areas to what he is now telling you about what we're headed toward, or maybe I should say racing toward. Now, Greg, what I've got here is several faxes, and um, I want to read them to you, get a reaction, and then go to the phones. Well, Art, before we do that, yes, sir. could I, we've covered a lot of ground. Oh, I know. Last few moments, if I could, with just a couple of sentences, recap uh, before we take those callers, are you okay with that? I'm okay with that, but there's even something I want to do before that. I've okay. got, and I've got to pull you to do it, I guess. Okay. Um, you've got two books. Um, one is Awakening to Zero Point, and the other is Walking Between the Worlds, yes. The Science of Compassion. I take it that's your latest. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, I also take it both these books are somehow available. They are available uh, through many bookstores, uh, and I've got uh, a couple of phone numbers here, if I could share those now. Share those now. The uh, the books are available at 1-800, another right. one of your 800 numbers. Of course. Uh, 1-800-243-1438. Again, that's 1-800-243-1438. Mm-hmm. And for schedules uh, of my uh, journeys to sacred sites throughout the world or speaking engagements, uh, it's area code 615 773 7691. Let me do all that that again for the audience. The books are available at 1-800-243-1438. Now, is that a 24-hour number? Uh, I believe it is, yes. It is. I know there are operators there right now. Okay, 1-800-243-1438. And uh, your appearances, your schedule, all the rest of that, at area code 
7691. All right. Um, if you would, give us a brief summary, uh, as you will, and then we better start moving here because even with five hours, we're running out of time. Sure. Our, the last hour and a half or so, we've, uh, we've been entertaining the possibilities uh, that emotion and DNA somehow are playing a role in, uh, in the way we're, we're witnessing uh, our lives unfold during this, this time of change. You're here. Um, our own research now, our own Western science has, has demonstrated, it's documented in the open literature, that emotion literally is a programmer for at least some kinds of DNA. They haven't done everything, but they're saying emotion programs DNA. We are uh, being asked to accommodate these great extremes of emotion. And that, that song you played, uh, your wife's favorite, just, <laughs> just before the break, is, is a beautiful okay. example of that. Yes. So my question is, and this is what I, uh, I uh, refer to in, in the book, Walking Between the Worlds, could our greatest challenges now of health and relationship and our very survival be the way that we redefine the biological limits that we accepted at some point in, in our ancient memory and now, as we're barreling down this road toward the shift of the ages, the falling magnetics, the increased frequencies, mm -hmm. all of the phenomenon according uh, or, or uh, associated with that, mm -hmm. uh, we are asked to accommodate that through our emotions. And, uh, and this is where I believe that we are remembering an ancient, highly sophisticated vibratory technology of moving uh, chemical balances, pH balances through the cells of our bodies, and we call it emotion. Right. Uh, I think Anne in Middletown, California, puts it just the way you would have it. She says, Art, why would anybody choose, and she underlines choose, uh, to not be optimistic when it should be clear by now that optimism itself is the emotion that will create the DNA changes that will save us? <laughs> There's a self-answering question. Yeah. And uh, and my response to that is, and the reason I'm sharing this tonight, Art, is I would never choose to persuade or convince anyone of anything, and we're, we're simply offering a possibility. Mm -hmm. And the reason, the answer to, to her question is because many people uh, do not know that we have uh, a choice in terms of how we respond to, to these great challenges. Well, that's for sure. That's right. They think uh, these changes are... Uh, going to occur, and we are insignificant ants uh, walking around waiting for the other shoe to drop. Precisely, and, and again, for for people who don't like the words compassion or emotion, they they can, uh, and many of my colleagues are, are among those. When I substitute the word vibratory technology, all of a sudden they've got something they can deal with, and they're more comfortable. Yes, and all right. said the same thing. All right, several questions, uh, Greg. Um, as this change develops. Will it affect humans differently if they are closer to the poles or closer to the equator? Wow, that's a great question, and it's one that I've had. In recent months, I think we have possibly gained some insight into that as we've seen what happened to the researchers at the South Pole in the, uh, in the presence of very low magnetics when they uh, experienced emotions they didn't know what to do with. Again, again, confirming from Montreal, Associated Press, a quake in southern Quebec rattled residents for hundreds of miles around, cracking basement walls and stripping the action, in fact, at a pro hockey game. When, 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 when they stopped hockey in uh, 
In Montreal, you know something happened. Something did just happen. That's right. All right. Here's one for you. Art, a comment and a question first. I have a youngster in my family who seems to have born, been born with a naturally high white count. The doctors are at a complete loss to explain it. As the youngster has undergone extensive testing, shows no sign of illness, given the current immune problems being experienced by so many, I wonder if this just might be a symptom of the emergent mutation that you are discussing right now. I believe the answer to that is yes, Art. It's, it's documented well in the open literature. It's children where we've seen some of these changes, where children have actually eradicated cancer viruses from their bodies. HIV, they don't, they're not dormant. They eradicate them from their bodies, and they do it through their belief systems, uh, what we would call today belief systems, and I, I believe the answer to that is yes. We're, we're seeing uh, these changes in children as, as well as adult, uh, adults in our population. All right, Tim in Orlando, Florida says, Art, last summer I visited Sunspot National Observatory at Cloudcroft, New Mexico. One of the researchers there that I spoke with was very concerned about the pulse of energy that had come from the sun just a few weeks prior to my visit. He seemed to feel there could be many more of these and that they could be more energetic and more frequent. He indicated that we really had dodged a bad situation that could have been devastating on our technology had it not just missed us. And this, on, of course, on the, um, uh, on the heels of an announcement hours ago on CNN that there was a, a gigantic... Uh, uh, eruption on the sun. So, any comments? Well, yes. First, uh, we're told that we can expect to see more and greater events such as that between now for, for the next four years. Uh, the Those impulses haven't dodged us. Our, what's happened is that we've been buffered from them by the magnetic fields. Uh, and they have knocked out communication satellites. They've knocked out power grids on the poles. As those magnetics decrease, I believe that, uh, that will... Uh, feel more of the impact. All right, here's one for you then. Fits right in, uh, Greg. How will a decline, or an absence even, of the magnetic field, and certainly it's going to be in decline long before it's finally gone, uh, but how will this decline affect our communication satellites, our GPS-type electronic compasses, aircraft navigation systems, all of that sort of thing, Frank and Custer, Washington? It's already happened. We've already had, we have documented cases where uh, as, as the north and the south poles are wandering, uh, they're wreaking havoc on air traffic control, on uh, mm -hmm. uh, GPS. Our, every 30 days, there is a new magnetic map that comes out for aviators, and the magnetics are changing so quickly that they can't even up. They're out of date by the time the, thir the new 30-day map uh, comes about. You're dead right. Wow. Um, during one of these recent large magnetic shifts, they actually changed a runway in Portland. Yes. They actually changed a runway in Portland, uh, the, the magnetic uh, heading or, or something to get to it, I forget. I, I think with these understandings, Art, now as we're, as we're watching uh, migratory patterns of animals change in ways we've never seen before, Yes. Uh, and, we, and we acknowledge that they're navigating following magnetics, we, we know that that's why whales are beaching themselves and birds are flying the wrong direction. Now, now that we know we've got 5 million or so magnetic particles in our brains, 
we have to say that we are affected somehow, that, that we're tuned to these magnetics as, as well. All right. By now, uh, we better get to the phones or they'll lynch me. Uh, <laughs> I think we've laid it out pretty well. Uh, here come the questions. All right. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. All right, sir, go, go right ahead. Uh, yes, uh, I was wondering about, you said that uh, many of the changes in the DNA structures could come from emotion. Uh, I was thinking that maybe it was endorphins, you know, that, that made many of the changes uh, because uh, when you're happy, it sets off endorphins and a lot of times it cures certain ailments, uh, even in cancer patients and stuff like that. It's been known to cure them, so I was wondering if that may be the case. All right, chemical releases in our own body? Certainly. What we now know, researchers have, have documented that, that emotion, every emotion that we have in our body has a chemical uh, equivalent. Mm -hmm. So whatever emotions we're expressing in our lives, we call it emotion, and what we're really doing is is we're technicians moving body chemistry, moving pH around in ourselves, uh, and endorphins are certainly a part of that. Uh, hormones are part of that. Our endocrine system is, is all part of that. Highly sophisticated technology. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the female half of the species, very confusing. <laughs> very confusing. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, this is Dan in Virginia. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Dan. It's a fantastic program tonight. Thank you. Um, Greg, my, my sense of this is that the magnetic field is what holds our physical structure together, and what is happening is literally falling apart at this point in time. So when you read the prophecies and it talks about the end of the world, there is an end in this physical world, but another one is being created that's of a higher frequency, and we're just moving into this higher frequency, which is, of course, affecting our consciousness also as the frequency is raising our consciousness is also expanding. Well, and that's a good way to put it. Uh, in other words, yes, uh, the world as we know it may end, but as it does, something else will begin. We're and, redefining that world right now. And again, I go to my, my book title, The Quickening. The Quickening can also mean the very first, uh, movement that a woman feels within herself of new life. And so that may indeed uh, be what it's all about. In other words, it may change and end as we know it. Uh, that doesn't mean all will end, but something new will begin. Is that fair? I, I believe that, that we are both pioneers and, and midwives, Art, right? that we're, we're birthing a, a, a new wisdom that transcends science and mysticism and religion and and while embracing all of those and carrying them to, to greater heights of understanding. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hello. Where are you, please? I am in Idaho Falls, Idaho. All right. Go right ahead. Um, first of all, I love the show, the show, tonight's show. Uh, unfortunately, I was uh, unable to catch the first, I don't know, three hours of it because something else can't, had come up. But, okay. Um, I, I probably had a weird little question. What kind of effect will this have on uh, on uh, magnetic things such as like uh, uh, computers, uh, disk drives, uh, videotapes, audio tapes, stuff like that? Well, you you probably have enough information now to from this show to answer that for your, yourself. Any any uh, technology based in uh, in magnetics 
and the the uh, requirement of magnetics, the presence of magnetics to move electrons through the circuit, uh, that technology uh, will probably not be valid during the time of this null, this null zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the interesting thing, our outer technology art, uh, the ancients tell us, mirrors uh, and mimics our inner technology. And uh, you know the capacitance, the resistance that we build on our machines—that's that's us in our in ourselves. Well, again, I appreciate your optimism about a rebirth and something new on the other side. But really, if you read not very far between the lines of what you're saying, the effects of no magnetic field and/or a then quick reversal mm-hmm. uh, can't be minimized either. I believe that there are some people that will adapt well to it, and I believe there are, are a lot of others that will not adapt well to it. And I'm again, I'm not painting, uh, my intent is not to paint a rosy picture, it's, it's to demonstrate that this is a process that's unfolding, uh, and that we have opportunities in terms of how, how we uh, allow this process, what it means to us in our context is so important. If this thing happens and we don't have context, it's frightening. If we if we are witnessing the context and we know what's coming down the road. All right, uh, Greg, let's try this on you. Uh, let's take it two separate examples. Uh, one is a person like myself who lives in a home dominated by electronics, computers, uh, satellite uplinks, uh, satellite downlinks. I've got four satellite dishes here. I've got stuff running all over the place. Uh, it is as much an electronic atmosphere as you would find on the planet of the Earth. And I live within and around this. I'm example A. All right. Let's then look at example B. Uh, your basic modern caveman lives off the Earth, lives in a cave, uh, sleeps on the dirt at night. Uh, when all of this happened, uh, uh, comes down, uh, which one of us is more likely to be around? I believe we'll both be around ours. <laughs> you really are charitable. Let, no, let me let me explain why. Because if if we're witnessing, and again, we don't have uh, we don't really have anything to compare this to. I mean, yeah, it's not like going from uh, Windows three one one to Windows ninety five. The well, shock is going to be a lot bigger, you know. What we're if if we're to believe what the uh, uh, thirty six hundred years ago was the Hopi re- record, what it meant to them, it said they. They were not in their normal conscious waking state, and that's why I hedge on this. Because if 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 we're not waking up in the morning, expect to turn our computers on, uh, then then we're not going to have the, the same impact. They they said that they were in a, a, a dream, or essentially uh, uh, they were moving from one dream to another. Uh-huh. For example, and I know your listeners know about this, a little shift in magnetics we can see once a month during a full moon. Right, and we know what that does to people. What happens when a huge shift in magnetics occurs? What does that do to uh, to our senses? What does it do to our time space? Well, look, I do a talk show. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who work in emergency rooms, and I once did. No, I was a medic in the Air Force. Uh, full moons come, trouble comes. Sure, everything is more extreme in every way. So, what would a gigantic change do? It would magnify that many, many, many times. People have have uh, experiences inside their bodies, 
that they don't know what to do with during those, those times of, of changing magnetics. Uh, during uh, solar, total solar eclipses and, and lunar eclipses, it's even uh, amplified more. I've, I've watched large groups of people in public when, when this is happening, and I think the key uh, is that we're, we're probably, in all probability, I mean, we're talking about some pretty outrageous things here, yes. in all probability we're not going to be in our typical, normal, conscious waking state. We're going to, to be in a, a unified, altered state of some kind. We're probably not going to be reaching for those computers or reaching uh, for the, the channel clicker uh, immediately anyway. And, uh, and it's during that time that we have the opportunity to, to feel ourselves, to know ourselves in the absence of those magnetics. Well, I still think your answer was mighty charitable, but uh, I'll accept it. Stay right there, Greg. We're at the top of the hour. Greg Braden is my guest. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Now again, here is Art Bell. Here I am. Greg Braden is my guest. He's a former Earth scientist and aerospace engineer, left Martin Marietta back in 1990. He is also a degreed geologist, so I hope you're listening carefully. We're going to concentrate very heavily on the phones this hour. Greg, welcome back. Good to be here. Um, uh, several um, little uh, questions. Uh, two points from uh, Dean in Des Moines, Iowa. One, that the magnetic field goes to zero is assumed by geophysicists because that's how they can explain what they view as a reversing magnetic field, too. There is evidence for fast magnetic field shifts in the geologic record. One lava field in Oregon showed a magnetic field rotation in relation to the lava field. The magnetic field changed in direction at the rate of 6 degrees per day for a period of 10 days. In other words, there was a massive lava flow that lasted at least 10 days, and the petrified magnetic field direction was changing at that rate during the flow. The, the story, uh, I, I read that same article, and I believe it happened, it was six degrees per day over eight days. Okay. And, uh, and I agree uh, 100% with what this gentleman's saying, Art. When I was in school uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, they were saying, yes, these things happen, and it takes thousands of years. In the 80s, they said, well, maybe it, uh, it only takes hundreds of years. In the early 90s, they said it could happen as little as, as 30 years. And now, uh, in 94, 95, when these reports came out, they said it, it's happened uh, six degrees per day over, uh, over a period of eight days, and, uh, and that these things could happen in what the ancients called the twinkling of an eye. Mm. Uh, this is from Seattle, Washington. Jason says, I'm curious about the effects of magnetic field depletion Get this one, uh, Greg, on global weapons systems. Do we have to worry about EM interference in electronic systems? Isn't that a great question, Art? Uh, is our national defense at risk? Uh, yes, it is a great question, and it's got a fairly obvious answer. Well, our, the new weapon systems, uh, EMF weapons, uh, HARP, all of those things, <clears throat> excuse me, are based on uh, uh, two things. They're based on the, the pulse of the Earth. In the past, it's been at 7.8 hertz, which, which has changed. And the reason I'm not all that concerned about HARP right now mm -hmm. is because it's, it's being uh, focused on the ionosphere, mm -hmm. which is held in place by the magnetic fields of the Earth. And if you, we have any ham radio... I'm a, I'm a ham. Okay, well, then you, already, you know this. 
the, the properties of the ionosphere are changing significantly enough that you have to, uh, to remodulate the way some of your signals are being sent uh, because the ionosphere do, uh, doesn't hold the same properties any longer. There's a, a ham magazine called Propagation uh-huh. that, uh, that just carried the article, uh, uh, started out speaking of the, the drop of the magnetic fields and then related that to the, uh, to the ham radio uh, technology because the ionosphere is, uh, is essentially weakening right now. In, uh, in response to, uh, to the magnetics of the Earth dropping. All right, and one other item. All right, a point ponder, your guest, uh, suggests this loss of Earth magnetics, which he has suggested would last approximately three days, would cause a total loss of our power grid, a blackout, three days. Now, you won't know this, Greg, but I interview from time to time a man called Father Malachi Martin. Hmm. who has been an advisor to several popes. He's a a Vatican insider. And we've talked about the Hopi, we've talked about the Mayans, we've talked about uh, many ancients. But, you know, then there's this uh, Christianity side. And Father Malachi Martin says three days of darkness, or what he calls three days of darkness, will be coming soon. So it kind of fits right in, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's interesting, Art. Uh, this is a whole section that we didn't get into tonight. Maybe we can do it another time. The three days, uh, or 72 hours, is a number that comes up a lot uh, in, the, in the mystical traditions, the pyramid initiations, the Essene nice. traditions, the Christian traditions. Uh, as initiates have trained themselves to go through that period of time, demonstrating what what at some future date Earth would expect to go through. That's the relationship there. I've got you. All right. So, uh, so without going any more into that, and, and interestingly enough, the, uh, the Christian aspect uh, of this shifted significantly in the 12th century. If you go back pre-12th century, it looks very different than uh, the way it's offered today. All right. First time caller line, you're on the air with Greg, uh, Greg Brayden. Uh, good, good morning to you. Where are you, please? Hi, Art. This is Aileen in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hi, Amy. Aileen. Uh, Aileen, Hi, all right. Art. By the way, the earthquake, 15 kilometers southwest of Quebec, lasted 30 seconds, 5.2 on the Richter scale. 5.2. 9.34 Eastern Time. All right. I wanted to ask your guest about the vortexes in the magnetic field. Is it true? I've heard of them. Um, what's going to happen to them? How do they affect us? And I heard that they were entrances into the middle of the planet for UFOs. No, that's out there a bit, but uh, well, there, there, there have been a lot of talk about vortexes, certainly. Two questions I heard there. There, uh, there is a composite magnetic field of the Earth, and, uh, and there are areas upon the Earth where the magnetic fields are high or low, and they have uh, direct uh, effects upon the way uh, human populations function. And, uh, for example, right through the Middle East, uh, right through the, the Gulf of Suez, Earth has zero, a, a, a zero magnetic contour line. It runs right through there. And right off the coast of California, there's zero magnetic contour. <laughs> as we come inland, uh, as the magnets get higher. And there are some beautiful maps that have been done uh, and research into this. And, and to make a long story very brief, what we can say is that we're magnetics are very low, there's a tremendous opportunity for change, uh, and how that change comes about is up to the people in those areas. 
and where the magnetics are high, such as in the Soviet Union and through the uh, southeastern states of the U.S., yeah. uh, change still may occur, and it's, it's slow to come about, and once an idea is entrenched, if it's really held in place, this gets into uh, another aspect that we really haven't touched on tonight, the relationship between uh, magnetics and, uh, and human thought patterns, and there's a lot of very good research that's been done with that. Uh, you say that uh, the Middle East is one place where the magnetic uh, effect is very minimal. There's it, yes, there's a uh, a beautiful graph in the in the zero point book uh, of the, the magnetic contours of the Earth, where they go to zero in some places. In some cases, places they're they're very high. And, and essentially, what you can say, Art, if you just came to this world from another world and you wanted to find out where the action was going to be, and you knew nothing of global populations or politics, mm-hmm. you would look for zero magnetics, and that is where uh, there's an opportunity for tremendous change. What researchers have found mm-hmm. is that magnetics essentially act as a glue for patterns of human behavior. Mm-hmm. But where the magnetics are high, uh, patterns of behavior are really entrenched, and, and it's hard to move them. Where the patterns are low, there are opportunities for tremendous change and it's up to the people in, in those areas how that change comes about. Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll leave the comments I would have made about the Middle East uh, because I just got back from there. Um, I'll leave them unsaid, I think, uh, well, based on what you just said. Well, what, what I'll say, it's interesting because uh, there is a zero contour, zero magnetic contour that runs right through uh, where the Suez Canal is. It's just amazing. Very low magnetics. I would have bet on it. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hello. Art. Yes. Yeah, we uh, out here in Washington, we also had an earthquake of 3.3 over by our nuclear reservation of Hanford. Oh, great. Good good, uh, good spot for it. Yeah, not really. Uh, my question is... Uh, when, I, when, when was that? Tonight? Yeah, 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 earlier this evening. Boy, rock and roll. Wow. Here we go, yeah. Uh, my question is, I'm an a- amateur astronomer. I look at stars and stuff, and I watch this little... Uh, it's kind of like a five-minute TV show, and the guy that his first name's Mike, he said that there were in the year 2000, and he also related it to the Mayan calendar. That in the year 2000 on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, mm-hmm. the planets will align. Oh yes, behind the sun. Yeah, the the inner planets: Mercury, Venus, uh, uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn are aligned. Yeah, and we'll be on the opposing side. Now, is that is that is that the magnetic? I mean, isn't isn't this the astronomy? Is, this is another one of those. I said earlier in the show, history points to now as being unique in terms of both human and Earth experience, and there are many phenomenon converging mm-hmm. on this period of time. And what you've just described—that planetary alignment—is one of the phenomenon that we didn't get into it tonight. And yes, it it's uh, and researchers know this. Uh, it happens to be occurring at the same time that the magnetics are falling uh, that may amplify that effect. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Uh, good morning to you. Where are you, please? Uh, on the highway just outside Winnipeg, Manitoba. Well, all right. Very good. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Art. Great show, as usual. Um, with the decreasing in uh, magnet, magnet, magnetism, the zero point, Yes. Is that going to come over a gradual period of time? 
you're you're living it right now. If uh, we said it earlier in, in the show, two thousand years ago, we had the strongest magnetics that we have, have known in recorded human history. The magnetics have fallen consistently, and we're now at about uh, a one to one point five on a scale of one to ten. We, we were at a 10 2,000 years ago. We're now at 1 to 1.5, and the decrease has been exponential in, say, the last uh, 100 years. 100 years. That's from the uh, Geomonitor Organization out of the Pacific Northwest is the one that's tracking that, all right? Okay, as we get closer to the zero point, uh, are you going to start seeing more uh, problems with electronic devices, magnetic devices? I believe the answer is yes. I've actually been uh, invited to do an interview with the FAA regarding uh, the recent rash of, of airplane uh, disasters, primarily in the military, uh, and if they are related to the, this magnetic uh, phenomenon or not. And I, I believe that uh, any electronics, as Earth goes through the magnetic hiccups, we're going to see our our uh, technology respond to those uh, to those hiccups. There is, of course, one additional benefit for Microsoft in all of this. They will have something to blame their Windows 95 problems on. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hello. Well, hello, Art. Uh, this is Lady of Kinnick, Alaska. And first I got a comment, and then I got a question for your guest. Okay. Okay, my comment is that the book of Genesis said that God had to replenish the earth, so for him to have to replenish it, there had to have been something here before. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is being that I live here in Kinnick, Alaska, across uh, Cook Inlet from Fort Rich, uh, I, the way I live, I sleep in front of a big plate glass window, and as I look out north-northwest, I always notice like uh, Charlie 130s and and troop moving helicopters always going that away. And it's like I even have like the AWACS comes over my house. It's almost like they use me for a head correction. <laughs> and once in a while, looking at north, northwest, I don't know if it's harp or what it is, but at nighttime I see like someone has got a camera pointed towards the sky and it'll do like these flashes of light. Uh-huh. But that's not what bothers me. I had to live like seven years without electricity, and I've had solar panels. And where my control box is, is on the one side where the ammeter is for when the uh, panels are taken in the energy. You can see if it's registering three or seven amps, you know, per hour. Sure, sure. And the, and the needle fluctuates. But on the other side, there's a voltage which shows the capacitance on the battery. And, like, once you've got your base charge established and your capacitance is there, that needle, it'll go up or it'll go down considering what you use. But what is really weird is it's not the amp, it's the voltage needle. At nighttime, it will, like, something is sucking down my power. And it will take and it will, like, do this fluctuation where it will bring it down and draw it like a battery uh, drain. That's interesting. And it will hold it and hold it and then it will fluctuate it back up. And then it will pull it back down and hold it and hold it. And I have been noticing this periodically. You know, and I also noticed there don't seem to be as much northern Borellas as there usually is either. You know, well, so is the is the question what might be the cause of that? Yeah, what is causing thing? this? I mean, I've had this for like seven years. I can see the ammeter needle doing yeah. that. You know, the clouds going from the sun, but not where you got your batteries got full. Are you charge. using uh, lead acid batteries? Yeah, the PBO two, right? Oh. The two six volt cat batteries. All right. Well, with without. Without knowing more about what's happening and, and without getting in uh, art in the interest of time for a, a long conversation, what I'm hearing sounds like a phenomenon associated with uh, 
with scalar uh, kinds of technology, scalar um, scalar potential being moved around in uh, in the atmosphere, and it, it may very well be uh, that far north. Uh, I know there's some scalar facilities up in that part of the world, and uh, she may be be seeing mm-hmm. some of that uh, in, in her home power power system. I am going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Nick Begich on Friday night, Saturday morning here on this program. Ah. He wrote, um, Angels Don't Play This Harp. Now, you indicated you didn't think harp was much of a threat earlier. Uh, There are several intended goals of the harp project at various power levels. Right. And I think at the present power levels that, indeed, harp is no threat. However, as they increase the power levels toward... 100 billion watts or beyond, and you've got this large antenna array that operates backwards with respect to most antenna arrays. In other words, you've got a broad beam at the bottom focusing to a very uh, narrow beam width at the point where it encounters the ionosphere. One of the um, objectives of HARP is to map underground tunnels and bunkers. Right. Now, that implies a reflection from the ionosphere of incredible amounts of energy to be able to do that. Obviously, to get underground, this energy must first pass what walks around on top of the ground, these biological entities. So I am not completely convinced there is not biological danger posed uh, when heart begins to really crank up. Art, if they were to turn that on today, uh, I agree with you 100%. I, I worked SDI in the late 80s uh, up until 90, a, a branch of that project, and I, I agree 100%. I was The question was regarding the, the time that the magnetics fall. Ultimately, I, I believe there, there will not be an ionosphere for them to bounce anything off of. Oh. And, uh, and until that time, I, I, I agree 100%. I think there's uh, a technology that we're exploring that may not fully be understood or, or if the implications are understood, they're being ignored. All right. Bottom of the hour. Sit tight, Greg. We've just about done the whole thing, and we've barely scratched the surface of a very, very, very complex topic. And again, I say to my audience, whether you're listening to Greg Braden, Father Malachi Martin, uh, Robert Ghostwolf, or any of the, uh, the Gordon Michael Scallion, Daniel Brinkley, you name them, different disciplines similar messages individually you can dismiss them collectively you've got to be blind if you do now again here's art top of the morning everybody uh, greg Brayton is my guest and we are talking about what's coming and i would say in the not very distant future if you have a question we're going to concentrate on the phones this half hour uh, Greg, a curious question uh, from, well, I don't know where it's from. It doesn't say here. Area code 909, wherever that is. It says, uh, please ask, Greg, if there will be a moment in time when everyone all at once will realize, feel, or be aware that the change is occurring. Will we all get dizzy, faint, vertigo, or fall asleep? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, again, because we haven't experienced it directly, all I can do is share what the uh, the ancient traditions and the texts say from those who have gone through apparently something like this before. Uh, and what they say is, uh, actually, it's one of those options that she gave to us. She said that 
uh, the text say is, is as we move into this, we'll certainly know something's happening as we move up toward it, as mm-hmm. we witness all these tremendous changes in the systems around us. And uh, at some point, uh, we essentially go into a, a, a waking dream, or we go to sleep, or we move into an altered state, uh, and we, we may not know that we've even been in that state until we awaken from it. It's like the Hopi talk about uh, as we as we wake up in one dream, it's not until we wake up in the new dream that we know the old dream even existed. So I believe uh, in art, what you felt in the in the king's chamber in the pyramid, mm-hmm. that total awakening in your body, that reference, oh, yes. that reference feeling is uh, is what they suggest is is our bodies tingle with uh, with these new magnetic parameters and new frequencies. Huh. That's, a good, that's a good answer. Yeah, um, okay. The first time caller line, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hello. That me? Yeah, it's you. Okay. I'm I'm a little nervous, so you have to bear with me a little bit. I'll bear with you. Where are you? I'm in Las Vegas. Oh, well, with all going around you, how can you be nervous? Well, it, well, it's kind of overwhelming being hooked into all these people at once, I guess. Anyway, what I would like to first of all say is that um, the, the actual... what what I believe the historical value of what's being said tonight in this broadcast is um, kind of a, all I can say is wow, because um, I have personally been searching and researching and gone to, you know, books of science, quantum physics and religion and metaphysical and, you know, masons, everything, done a lot of different research. And um, this is the first time in my experience that I have I've heard such a... Um, articulate and concise explanation of really our choices at hand at mm. this point in time. And thank I would you. just like to um, tell this gentleman thank you very much for being um, courageous in his his search because he's um, a big help to a lot of people right now. Well, thank you. It, it's certainly a challenge to do it in, in 15 or 20 minutes at a time. So thank if it's worked for you, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. A lot of your explanations have been elegant and have explained to me things that I've been trying to grasp and understand particularly uh, the analogy between the iron bar, the electromagnet, and uh, and how Earth uh, Earth's magnetic field is created and maintained and may change. Um, sudden understanding has been imparted, and I appreciate that. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. I was. Didn't know how many lines you had. I have a lot of lines. Where, where are you? Uh, I live in Independence, but I'm calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Oh, you're calling from where I was born at. Yeah, it's a great place. It's in the center of the United States. That you know, you notice that too. <laughs> it is. I lived in Independence the early part of my life, actually. Well, it's just about in the center of the United States. Right. I think that's unique. Um, I, I had I wrote down some thoughts. Um, as I was uh, listening to the program, uh, one thing I did have a question for you. Um, I looked at the Mayan and the Aztec calendars. I both believe they uh, end in uh, 2012. And uh, you said as we enter, uh, approach this zero point, uh, have you thought um, in conjunction with uh, these dates, the fact that these calendars run out, does that has that meant anything to you, or have you, have you had any thoughts about Certainly, that's, and that's what we were referencing early in the show. That the Mayan calendar actually ended in uh, July of 1992, and it says that between July of 92 and December of 2012, we're living a time that they called no time, where the systems of energy reorganize themselves. 
Uh, and that's when I, I asked the, the Mayan holy man, I said, well, why, do, why didn't the Mayan build a new calendar? And he laughed at me. He said, because at the end of this, at the end of that 20-year period, by December 2012, he, he said, you will never perceive time in the same manner, nor will you ever look at your world or your bodies the same again. Hmm. So we, we're, we're in the time that they called no time right now. All right. Uh, caller, just one little humorous note for you. Uh, you sounded so proud of the fact that you live dead center in the middle of the country. Yeah. What if we crack in half? <laughs> no, I have a, I have a thought. Five second thought, Art. I think you'll appreciate this. Yes. I believe that all the continents were uh, once together, and uh, this realignment that may be occurring is one way for them to come back together again. Uh-huh. Well, all right. Uh, in that case, you might bulge up. One other thing, too. Amino acids. When amino acids out of 64? Yes. If we were to use all the amino acids, that would might be a key to uh, preventing all disease and aging and, and um, helping with the eternal life and higher intelligence. The miracle strain, well, indeed. Pre- precisely. Though there's, there's something that humans, bats, guinea pigs, and uh, some apes have in, in common, and that's that we're the only mammals that do no uh, do not any longer produce vitamin C in our bodies. We have everything we need to do it. It's simply not enabled. It's not turned on. And all other mammals have have that capability. Okay, east of the Rockies. Uh, without a lot of time, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Good morning. Hi, Art. Thank you very much for accepting my call. Sure. Where are you? My name is Haley, and I'm in Oxford, Michigan. Okay. I have two questions. One concerns the uh, plate tectonics. Being a geologist, you probably be good for that. And the second is the creation of the uh, the magnetic uh, field around the Earth. You know, considering the fact that the Earth is has a huge piece of iron in the center and it's rotating through the magnetic field of the sun, right. if you use the right-hand rule, it would say that we're generating a current that flows around the Earth. And as that current flows around the Earth, would it not generate our own magnetic field through the core of the Earth? Do you remember the tethered uh, experiment they did uh, that ended up uh, disastrously burning out the whole thing? Remember that? No, I don't really recall. You don't remember the te- they they released a long tethered line from a satellite, it's actually true. from the uh, from the uh, shuttle, right. and they tried to uh, gather electricity in it as uh, as they passed around, you know, using that theory. And they thought they would get so much current and electricity. And in fact, what they got, they couldn't even measure. All the needles pegged, and the tether burned up. That's really. That's really interesting. And, you know, what he said about the sun's magnetic field now decreasing, if it's true that our rotation in the uh, magnetic field of the sun is what's creating our own magnetic field on the Earth, as the sun's magnetic field decreases, our magnetic field then would also decrease to zero when the Earth, when the sun, if the sun should have its magnetic field to stop. I believe that's precisely what we're seeing. And, Tonight, you know, five hours has gone by very quickly, and we've yes. spoken of the Earth. Uh, the reality is that the rest of our solar system is going through this, this shift, and I think it's one of the reasons NASA has sent so many uh, interplanetary probes in the, uh, 1997. Uh, we're, we're witnessing these changes on uh, many other planets, not just the, the Earth. By the way, uh, it, it's interesting because it was brought up last night, if I could find the paper here, uh, they have just rescheduled the Lunar Prospector 
which is designed for a very low polar orbit investigation of the moon, and they uh, had not had a launch date for it. Uh, now we have uh, 6 January of 98 as a launch date for the Lunar Prospector. I thought a lot of people out there might want to know that. It was just now announced. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Hello. Yes, hello, Mr. Bell, Mr. Braden. Um, my name is Barry. I'm in Cottonwood, Arizona. I'm Hi. a little nervous, and I'm away from everyone, so I think I can get away with that. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm a student of many of the ancient traditions of the different cultures you've been talking about. I just have a great interest in it. And I've been feeling and anticipating the change, like, for a while, you know, kind of hoping it's going to come soon. Um, I was curious what your views are in the change relate, relating to lost time that's generally associated with, um, like, UFO phenomenon. With lost time. Lost time. Uh, there are people who claim abduction and missing time, lost time. Right. Uh, with all sorts of phenomena. Um as long as we've got you, why not? There are all kinds of phenomena that we can't account for uh, that people study, ufologists look into it, things flying around in our skies, things we cannot explain. Any take on all of that? Well, certainly. That is, is all, I think a very few questions we could have, Art, that wouldn't tie into it tonight. The last time, we measure time uh, through our bodies by the way we perceive those pulses from the Earth. And, and in the absence of those pulses, uh, that, I believe that's that's what accounts for that lost time phenomenon. Huh. The, the time is relative. When we're out of the fields of that 7.8 hertz, uh, what do we use as our reference? How do we account for time? All reference is gone. Right. Gotcha. First time caller line, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Uh, good morning. Yes, Art. This is Frank from Reno. Hello, Frank. Great show tonight. Wanted to uh, relate something that I've been thinking in terms of all the changes that are taking place and, and pose a question. When they look through the uh, geological site or uh, history of a lot of different species, the species just die out suddenly. Yep. And uh, then there's new species that come into to play. When the uh, case in point recently, of course, with the Neanderthals, there's no direct link between them and us. I know. What a shock. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm thinking that... Uh, the Earth doesn't just revolve around the sun. There's a larger revolution that takes place. And certain Hindu religions talk about the cosmological cycles that take place on a much grander scale, 300,000 years. And I'm thinking that maybe uh, the Earth passes through energy zones or vibratory zones where mm -hmm. things just realign. And, and with what's coming up on May 5th in the year 2000, that maybe what happens is the Earth automatically finds a new equilibrium, a new status point, uh, and that might relate to some of the things he's talking about. I, I, I believe that's precisely. We haven't talked about the scales that large. It's the, uh, um, that, that cycle is part of everything that, that we're speaking about tonight, and I believe that the genetic shifts that we're seeing in, in global human populations documented in the open literature, uh, those are us witnessing what some researchers call the birth of a new species exactly. in our presence within a single lifetime to assure that that, that extinction does not occur. Well, thank you very much. That's exactly it. It's, it's just something in all the readings that I've been doing, I just sort of felt that uh, energy zones is something that we pass through, whether it be through, uh, I've never believed much in astrology, but they may have something there. We pass through different astrological sure. cycles. Certainly. Right. All right, thank you. Thank you uh, very much for your call. Uh, Greg, before we run out of time, 
Awakening to Zero Point, and your other book is called Walking Between the Worlds, The Science of Compassion. Uh -huh. And both of those books are available by calling 1-800-243-1438. Yes. And then if you're in California, uh, is it California where you must call a different number? Uh, no, for uh, that. Oh, no, 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 that's right. You have a different number for your appearances. I'm uh, sorry. For anyone who's interested in uh, a free newsletter or seminar appearances or anything did like you, that. Did, did you say free? Uh, yes. Free newsletter. Oh. It's a 10-page newsletter that uh, we just had one that came out a few weeks ago. Air and code 615-773-7691. Or if you'd like to be put on the mailing list. Okay, that's 615-773-7691. Yes. Or to order your books, 1-800-243-1438. Uh, and that's a 24-hour number. That's correct. Okie doke. West of the Rockies, without a lot of time, you're on the air with Greg Braden. Good evening. Good morning. This is Phil in Oregon. Good morning, Phil. Morning. morning is correct. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I was curious, as man's use of weapons of mass destruction and their effects on the electromagnetic spectrum contributed significantly to what you are proposing? That's an interesting question. Well, it, it ties into something, an even greater question, and I'll answer two of them quickly. Uh, the ancients remind us that this time in history is the pivotal point where we give our power away to external technology, weapons being part of that, or we recognize uh, the inner technology, the highly sophisticated inner technology that we've been referencing, uh, and we embrace that technology, of uh, the inner technology, carrying it forward in life and, uh, and allowing the external technology to serve us rather than uh, giving our power away to, to that. So I believe that the, uh, the external technology, our weapons, uh, certainly weapons technologies, uh, is a two-edged sword. It, it's done a tremendous amount to, uh, to allow us to know ourselves, and now we've brought ourselves to the point, and I'm really watching, uh, Art, I don't know if you picked up the, uh, the news broadcast of what's happening in the Middle East tonight with uh, Iraq, but that whole... Uh, scenario is, is escalating over there almost by the hour. And, I know. Uh, and it's interesting to see how all this all this is playing well, out. Well, you said there were, uh, 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 it was a very weak uh, magnetic influence in the Middle East, and I almost irresistibly was going to tell you the story of the turtle and the uh, scorpion. <laughs> I, I, have you heard that? I have heard that. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the, the turtle uh, is convinced by the scorpion to carry him across the uh, Jordan River. And um, the uh, uh, the turtle uh, promises uh, extracts a promise from the scorpion not to bite him. Scorpion says, "I wouldn't bite you. Why would I kill you in the middle of the, the river?" And so away they go. Scorpion riding on turtle halfway across. Scorpion kills the turtle with a sting, and as the turtle gurgles down into the river, dying, uh, obviously the turtle asks the scorpion, "Now, why have you done this?" And the scorpion just looks at the turtle and says, because this is the Middle East. <laughs> That's the only answer. Listen, five hours, gone. Uh, we've scratched the surface only of what we can do, so obviously we will have you back on again, Greg. It has been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, and you've been a very gracious host this evening, Art. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, my friend, and good night. Take good care. All right. Um, that's it, folks.